Hello and welcome to the Shea Hates Everything podcast where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate not knowing when my daughter's going to be born. And my name is Kyle and today I hate my water pressure. So I'll I'll start. So cuz this kind this is kind of this is a shadow over the Shay Hates Everything podcast. This whole, like, when will my daughter be born? Looming just... baby-sized shadow. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this giant baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I mean, for a couple of different reasons. So, one, we don't know when she's going to be born, which just sucks for us. Because we're in that period now where it could literally be any day. My wife is, she is in her 38th week. And so... Our daughter has been fully baked, as they say, and she's full term, essentially. So if she's born today, like it's not dangerous or scary. It's totally normal if she was going to be born. Plus, my wife being smaller than the average woman would lead you to believe that she could also be born early. But because it's her first child, those are typically born late. And our daughter is slightly smaller than average right now. So that could mean she might be late. So there's just a bunch of factors of like, we have no, she could be born today or she could be born in three weeks. And any day in between then would be completely normal and fine. And that's just, that's very frustrating. And I go, (laughs) I go in like a parabola of some days I'm like, oh, I want her to be born right now. It's going to be really exciting. And other days I'm like, oh, she can kind of take her time if she wants. We still have some <laughs> stuff we need to do. But it's just like, I just, I don't know how I feel. It's confusing and frustrating. And like, I don't know. It's it like literally I am at, at any point, any minute will be the biggest event in my entire life. <laughs> like, like, that's just, that's how I'm just sitting here waiting I feel like for my entire life to change. Of your entire life was being born. You know what I mean. So this is the second biggest event. No. Because without this... that moment, you wouldn't have a life. I'm not saying it is the most impactful or like the <laughs> most informative moment. Obviously, yes, being born. And obviously, like if I wouldn't have gone to right state, I wouldn't have met my wife and then I wouldn't have had my daughter. Like, yes, of course, you can butterfly affect the <laughs> shit out of it. But my point is, this is the biggest thing that will ever happen to me is having my first child. And it could happen at any time. Second, that's, in, it, that's just third insane. child. Fuck them. No, not <laughs> first. I'm, I'm just being a dick. I'm sorry. But you, like, that's not as. It won't be as big of a change. You know what I mean? Like that'll right, still be amazing right. when and if we have more than one kid. But just, yeah. just like the lifestyle change will never be larger than yeah. it will be when Penny is born. I get it. So anyway, you were, you were a first child, so you think they're more important. Accurate. I know they are more important. <laughs> it's it's factually correct. So all of that, like, when it happens, who knows? And so, like, it could impact when we can do the podcast. Like, you know, if she's born on a Friday, we're not going to be able to record the podcast that weekend. Kelly and I have already had the conversation. We're still going to continue the podcast. It's still going to be every other week. We're going to make time for that to happen. So listeners, don't worry. But, like, the timing of it could make the episode not happen that day or, or whatever. Plus, as we will find out in the what we've been playing and watching and reading lately, I don't have that much time to do stuff because we have everything else going on. So that's going to be a big, big change. Right. So that that's that's where I'm coming from today. What about you? Uh, so my water pressure, like, has it ebbs and flows, um, like the the oceans of the earth. 
There's right. an ebb and flow to my water pressure. Yeah. Um, it's not supposed to be that way, by the way. Uh, but my house was built in 1970, and I don't know, maybe that's part of it. Also, maybe partly because my city is shitty. So I, I, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. So it goes in, like, phases. Like, sometimes we have really shitty low water pressure, and then for, like, a week, like I'll, like, I'll be in the middle of taking a shower... Like, I'll turn the shower on, and then the pipes, like, go, like, and then, like, it's, like, (laughs) like, just, like, sprays water out like crazy. And then it's, like, that way for, like, a week. And it's great. And then there's, like, a, I'm, I turn on the water one day, and then it's, like, and then it's, like, and then we have shitty water pressure for, like, a month. Um, Okay. And so that happened today. I was in the middle of taking a great shower with great water pressure, and then the water was like, <laughs> you piece of shit. You're not the one having a kid. So I didn't get good water pressure for the rest of my shower. So so what do you do about this? Uh, you, like, you, just, you live with this. Like, this is just, it's a thing that happens now. This it's like when you home. get older and your body starts to like, fall <laughs> right. apart. Like, oh, you just have your ankle just hurts every morning. And right. that's just, this is your life now. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> Once you become a homeowner, like, it, this is your life now. Yeah. My house is old. This is the way it is now. There's probably yeah. a fix for it, but it involves calling someone out and paying them to do stuff. I'm right. not doing that. Right. I'll just take shitty showers. On a similar topic, after so this past month, including our move, has been unbelievably expensive for us. We yeah. have spent so much money moving and getting new stuff for our new place. And obviously, the primary thing is all the baby prep. We had two showers, which were fantastic. People got us a lot of really awesome stuff, but it's never everything, you know? Right. And so there was just a lot that we... Plus, we bought a new bed, which we used Christmas money for, but, like, we got a brand new king-size bed, memory foam. It's legit, but it's, like, it costs Was it a Lisa mattress? It was not. We were going to get a Lisa, but um, my uh, brother and sister-in-law, they have one they got from Overstock, which was, like, half the price. Nice. So we just went with that, and it's great. We love it. It's firm, which I need because of my back and my neck problems. Right. But it's still, like, it's that memory foam feel, and it's huge. Like, I can roll over in the middle of the night and not even be able to reach Kelly, which is exactly king how we want King sizes are great. <laughs> I love yeah. my king size. Um, so, anyway, we've just been spending a lot of money, and then, just like a couple of days ago, our dryer just stopped working. Sure. I was just like, like he, exa- that was pretty, basically my response. Like, sure, why not? <laughs> yep. That's about what would happen here. <laughs> And um, so, but it's, we are hopefully going to get the part today and I believe we will be able to fix it ourselves. We took the whole thing apart, like took the lid off. We uninstalled. We think it's the door latch that is the problem because if the door latch doesn't trigger and shut off or turn on the light, then it won't run. And by like, you know, jiggering it around and like shaking the dryer, occasionally we can get it to turn on and then the the dryer will start for just a couple minutes and then eventually it'll shut off. So we think that's the problem. And that part only costs us like $9. So if that's what it is, this is very good. Yeah. If we can't fix it, this is very bad. (laughs) Because then we will have to like pay someone to come out and look and see if it's something else. And then we might still have to buy a new one. So... Let's hope that that's not what it is. Right. And we don't even own a home, and we're dealing with this crap. 
But it, yep, this is life. This is it now. <laughs> this is what happened. <laughs> this is the way it is. It'd be saw, like that sometimes. <laughs> I was on Twitter the other day, and someone tweeted out, like, hey, what is the biggest thing you believed as a child that turned out to not be true? And my response was, that being an adult would be better than being a child. <laughs> that did not turn out to be true. <laughs> or um, that things last as long as they look like they should. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Like life. Life doesn't last as long as it looks like it should. Well, it depends on the it's person. Deep. Sometimes it looks Some, like yeah. it should not last very long. <laughs> and and sometimes it lasts, it lasts longer than it should, to right. be fair. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's dive into some stuff here. So, as I mentioned, because, like, all we're doing right now is baby prep, and then when we're not doing baby prep, both of us are exhausted, slash, I'm doing stuff to help take care of Kelly, or, like, I want to I wanna be, like, around her, and it's that, like, whatever, um, not pheromones, but some, like, something in my body, like, makes me want to protect her even more than normal right now. Uh, it's just, like, a natural instinct. And so, like, we just, we hang out a lot. Like, we'll sit and watch TV or whatever. So, I'm not, I'm not doing as many things that are my things. So, that the, all of that, this is all my excuse to say I haven't done that much stuff <laughs> in the past two weeks. So, I know last episode I said I was going to finish Kingdom Hearts 3 and we could talk about it here and then we'd be done with it. I didn't finish it because this game doesn't fucking end. I, like, I got to a place... That is called The Final World. And I have played for probably three hours after that. And gone to a bunch of other worlds. So what the hell is happening Kingdom Hearts 3? But I'm not going to talk about Kingdom Hearts 3 anymore today. I will save it for the next episode when I will have finished. Because I think I'm very close. I'm in boss battle mode right now. So I think I am very close. I just couldn't finish it last night, unfortunately. Because it wouldn't end. (laughs) <laughs> so next episode, my final thoughts on Kingdom Hearts 3. Guess what? I didn't like it that much. <laughs> I did start a new game called The Banner Saga 3. Okay. Which I had intended on starting months ago. Uh, it was the last remaining game I needed to play before I'd feel good about my game of the year list. Because I, I was super highly anticipating this game. Both previous games made it on their respective top 10s. So I felt like I needed to play this one before I could like justify posting it i'm glad i uh waited and started playing it it's very good the biggest bummer is that um about a year ago something happened with our computer where i think it was like our wi-fi um card or something burnt out and it kind of like made our computer suck that's about as technical as i can be sure but we replaced it and because of this i don't know we had to like reboot it and reinstall stuff and because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, I lost all of my game save data on my PC, which sucks, but yeah. I don't play that many PC games. The biggest thing that sucks about it is I lost my Banner Saga save data. So loading up Banner Saga 3, it thinks that I've never played a Banner Saga game. And the whole point of the game, like it's very story focused. You're making a lot of decisions that impact whether or not characters live or die. Like, you know, uh, you you are managing this, um, like happiness meter i guess you'd call it for your caravan that goes up and down and like i said you're doing all these making all these choices about oh do i spend resources on buying food or recruiting a mercenary you can say you know you come across a a roaming 
smaller caravan and they're like hey can we help you or can we join you guys we really need more protection and if you're like yeah sure and then they end up stealing half of your shit in the middle of the night or if you don't let them join then they attack you and you one of your characters dies like you know every choice is terrible the world is terrible that's the banner saga three okay so all of those choices and stuff that i had made i lost so that was a huge bummer the there's a biggest one in the first game at the end of the first game you play primarily as a father who has a daughter and they're kind of like leading this caravan to the last remaining human city on the planet trying to fight off the dredge which are like demon metal dudes that are destroying the planet and at the end you're fighting one of the bosses of the dredge and you can either have your character rook or the daughter alette lead the charge to go fight the bad guy and whoever does it dies i didn't know that whoever was gonna do it would die and so my daughter was like dad give me a chance to prove myself and i was like you know what i believe in you and then she got murdered. So <laughs> that felt really bad. So like the rest of the game, the rest of that game. So lesson two. for fatherhood. Don't <laughs> send your upcoming daughter on a charge against murderous machines. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I feel like I pro- I definitely would have made a different choice I had think, I been a dad. <laughs> I think <laughs> in you real learned life. a lesson. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, but anyway, like that's a huge choice and it made a big impact on the character. That's the only choice you're given at the start of Banner Saga 3 is, do you want to play as Rook or do you want to play as Alette? So at least that way I got to still keep Rook. But like, there was a character that was in my party that had actually died in my playthrough. So it's just like... That just sucks. It's not the fault of the game, but it's a bummer. So, like, Steam, with certain games, will automatically back up your saves to the cloud. So there might be a way for you to download your original, like, Banner Saga 1-2 save. I don't, I don't know how to do that. And well, I'm already, like, five hours into the game. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I'm sure that would have been good to know before, but yeah. what are you going to do? You it's not ruining my enjoyment brother about it. Yeah, your brother it was like, knows things. Yeah, I know. I just it was like a night, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna sit down and do this now. I need to actually because like I've been putting off starting it because the game is a bummer. Like that series is such a bummer. Yeah, and I was just like, didn't want to do that. I didn't want to put myself through <laughs> that yet. So I finally was like, you know what? I'm gonna sit down and start it. And then I saw this problem, and I didn't want to spend extra time trying to solve it. So I just went ahead and played. Okay. Um, but. It is very complex. So there are a bunch of different races and people. And there are these uh, Varl who are like giant Viking dudes. And everyone has a weird name. And there are a bunch of weird names for places. It is very Lord of the Rings in its kind of like world building. A.K.A. it is very hard to follow at times. Yeah. And it having been like, I think the second game came out in 2014. Ooh. So it's been a while. Um and, like, not having my save file, too, like, I'm just feeling, I feel very lost at times. I know all the main characters and what they're doing, but a lot of the larger, like, they'll be having conversations and they'll reference another character or a place. And I'm like, I, I don't know who or what that is. There is a, like, previously on in the beginning of it, but it's, like, 40 seconds and really high level and not helpful at all. So that was kind of, like, annoying. I wish they would have done something a little bit better. Um, even for returning players like myself, would have been nice. Right. Uh, I, yeah, so I'm having a hard time just, like, keeping up with the story at times. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening. This is the final game in the trilogy. And so now everything is, like, like, shit is hitting the fan officially. It's been hitting it, like, 
intermittently, like small pieces of shit would hit the fan. But now it's just like a horse just standing in front of the fan, just constant <laughs> stream. Uh, and it's, I'm just going, like, I'm getting very overwhelmed. It switches back and forth between different characters, like in different areas, because each one has kind of a different story. And whenever it does that, I'm going, oh no, like, don't add more to this. I'm getting lost already. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's a good game. I really like the combat, the visual aesthetic, the storytelling, and the characters, a lot of the main characters, especially, I think are all really good. I'm just kind of getting like lost with it at this point. Um, but I'm very excited to see how it wraps up. So hopefully it is in a satisfying way because I put it on my game of the year list, having not finished it. So I don't want to regret that. So is this maybe like an example of, Oh, I don't know, say uh, the third game in a series where, uh, it isn't totally terrible and awful. I, I don't understand the joke that you are making. Is it just that the third game in a series is usually bad? Um, there's a recent example of that. Yeah. I feel like Kingdom Hearts like 3, a... Shay. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's a joke that's happening and I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> On the show document, they are two lines apart. <laughs> yes. This, I, I will say, um, Kingdom Hearts 3 is actively terrible and embarrassing. And I am angry at the universe for putting me through this. <laughs> The Banner Saga three is still good. <laughs> okay, there you go. So I would not, I would not put them up against each other. Okay, no. fair. <laughs> uh, so what about you? You've been playing anything else? Yeah, uh, I beat Far Cry five. So I kind of mm-hmm. talked about last episode how I'd been playing that and how all the story stuff around it was really, really bad, and I just wanted to be able to go shoot stuff. Right. Um, that persisted through the end of the game, and then the ending, which I had heard about, was really stupid. It was just as stupid as I thought it would be. Um, I guess it's an old game. Well, not old, but old enough. Came out like probably spoil what it. last year in twenty or twenty seventeen, I think. Yeah, sure. But there's a nuke that drops. They spoiled it last right. E three. Oh anyways. no, yeah, I, it's totally fine to spoil it. I, yeah. I, I was, but it's not an old game. No, nah. but like they they spoiled it at E three last year when they announced yes. Far Cry New Dawn. Um, right. So basically, like, there's all this stuff ramping up, this tension between you and this other character, and then just a fucking a nuke drops, and, like, all of that goes out the window kind of thing, and then, like, you get stuck in a bunker with this dude, like, mm. as the end of the world essentially happens, um, and he, like, they do the first-person shooter thing where they incapacitate you and you have no control, and then, so, like... The end of the game is, like, you're stuck in this bunker with this guy, and he has you, like, dead to rights kind of thing, and okay. he's going to, like, be all fucked up with you and stuff. It's a terrible ending to a game. Uh, and then Far Cry New Dawn um, is better in most ways, but I think still... So, like, a lot of the... um. Like, I kind of alluded to it last episode. Like, a lot of the dialogue is better because it isn't trying to be so edgy mm. anymore. <clears throat> um, but then it's just kind of also, like, kind of toneless and colorless because it's just so flat. Like, right. oh, we're doing what we can to survive. Got to stick together. Or, like, it's just that kind of crap, like, ad nauseum. Um. So I, I wouldn't say the story stuff is good still, but um, at least they don't p- 
pull you away from what you are doing to force it down your throat. Yeah. Um, they're just missions that you go to. Um, are you playing, like, the same character, and are the same characters no. involved? So you play okay. as a different character, but you're, like, rolling around with um, the daughter of two of the, like, side characters mm. from Far Cry 5. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, like, 17 years later, is that right? Yeah, it's 17 or 20 or something. Um, and then, so I think I know who my player character is from Far Cry 5. I think they are in this game, and I think I know who they oh, okay. are, but they're, like, being veiled about it. But then, gotcha. like, you, you, part of Far Cry 5 <clears throat> story, you, like, go back to the bunker, uh, and, like, read these notes and stuff, and it's, like, it's so shitty. It's, like, your player character essentially, like, going over to the side of this crazy like cult dude and like oh he's like warping their mind over time and like you read these notes that are like i'm, I'm not gonna go along with it or whatever and then you read the next note it's like oh it kind of makes sense and then it's like <laughs> oh right. all hail blah 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 and it's just like the <laughs> stupidest fucking laziest thing because as i was playing far cry 5 i was like i want to put a bullet in this fucker's face <laughs> put a lot of bullets in his face i hate this guy yeah um and so it's just kind of like a middle finger to how you were playing the game in far cry 5 but anyways, like, they clearly just don't know how to write a story. It's fine. Um, but all the other stuff surrounding it is still really good. Like, the, the weapons are fun. Like, the sniper rifles have, like, scopes made from the, like, barrels of flashlights and, like, right. stuff like that. Like, there's, like, pipe fasteners on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of that. Good aesthetic um, How's the saw gun? That's the one they they kept showing off. Yeah, I don't bother really stuff. using it. I just use it, I use gun guns because those are pretty decent. Um, the really weird thing about this is that like the tiered enemy approach, like they have you know your commons, your uncommons, your rares, uh, your like, and then your legendaries. I think. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. there are four tiers. There's like white, blue, purple, gold. Um, like a typical loot game. And then there are also enemies that are those ranks. So, gotcha. like, it's not... I mean, they have, like... They have more motorcycle armor, like, dirt bike armor on. Mm-hmm. So, sure, okay, I guess. But that, like, the gold enemies are just bullet sponges, and they are horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, you get guns that are also the different tiers so you're doing more damage and what i didn't realize until recently is that you can actually upgrade each of the guns individually even like without just the tiers like you can get the different tiers and those are dramatically different but you can also spend some resources to like give like incremental upgrades to the guns right um and that's kind of where the game falters a bit for me is like the main currency is ethanol so, like, you can capture ethanol trucks, and you have to do that by, like, shooting out the dude who's driving it, because if you shoot the truck, it'll just explode. And then you can <laughs> drive the truck to an outpost that you have claimed, and you'll get, like, 75 ethanol. And that's kind of, like, a long process, and you don't run into a lot of those out in the wild, because it's, like, a random event that they'll, like, drive past you or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't run into a ton of them. And, like, a gun upgrade, for example, is, like, 100 to 150 ethanol. So you'd have to, like, do that twice to get a single, like, small incremental upgrade. And then there's just all these different crafting materials that you're trying to track. It's just... I don't know. So what about the, like, base taking? Isn't that where you get a lot of your resources? Yeah, so you get a lot of ethanol from that. And then, like, you can 
scavenge an outpost, which is like you get a small bit of ethanol, like 50, and then they take it back over. And now it's like right. a two-star base. Right. So it's harder to take over. But when but you, you do that, get more resources, you, get more resources. you can scavenge it a second time, and then it's yeah. a three-star. And I'll tell you, the three-stars are fucking unfair and shitty. Because hmm. um, I tried that. Of course, I didn't have, like, the top-tier stuff. But, like, by the time you have the top-tier stuff, like, you don't need the ethanol anymore. So it's like, I don't fucking right. know. Whatever. Um, I'm not going to bother doing that. I had a moment where I think I'm about to go to the last mission in the game. And I had a moment where I was like, well, I could go around and, like, explore the rest of the map that it never really brought me to. Yeah. Or I could just play this last mission <laughs> yeah, and be over with it. So I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm kind of. How yeah. are the two um, villain characters? The two like sisters. They're s- stupid and lame yeah. and dumb. Like they're just like, it, we're black twins and we're like hardcore, and one of us is a little more unstable than the other. Sweet. Ah. <laughs> they seemed potentially cool in the trailers, so that's kind of annoying. And I feel like Far Cry has usually done a good job with their villains. Yeah, it's like the last two games has been really miss, no hit. Um, yeah, that's fair. And I don't know, pr- part of it is probably like, hey, this is my second Far Cry game directly in a row. Um, that's probably also a part of it, that I'm like super ready to be done. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just That's a lot of Far Cry in a small amount of time and like not enough differences. Like visually, yeah, so, it looks right. great. Uh, like very different visually and it's kind of cool. Like... So if they had done a better job in Far Cry 5 of uh, making you invested in the story and in the places that you were going to and spending time in, Far Cry New Dawn would be that much more impactful because you're going back to these places that you recognize, but they're, like, ruined or, like, Mm. there's, like, been earth piled up around it from the blast of a nuclear bomb and it's, like, the terrain has changed slightly, but, like, there's still echoes of, like, past stuff from Far Cry 5. That stuff is all really neat. But also, I kind of didn't like spending time in Far Cry 5, so it's also like, cool, yep, they did a thing, nice job, team, cool, I'm gonna go shoot a bear. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I did mess around with some of the DLC for Far Cry 5, I played the Vietnam one, which was irreverent and bad. Um, and I played the zombie one, which was kind of funny sometimes. It was like mm-hmm. this, one of the characters in the game, like keeps popping up to all these different, like Hollywood directors. Like I have this idea for a great movie. And then it's like narrating it as you play. And there are a couple oh. of funny moments, but mostly it's like pretty tone deaf. Um, and there's an, oh, there was a Mars DLC that was actively terrible. Um, it's like the floor is lava ever like there are you try to always bounce around on the rocks because if you step on the mm-hmm. sand all these aliens will pop up and yeah it's just not very good hmm. um some of the writing in that is okay though but like i can already see where it's going with like the ai and what they're having you do i already know where the story's going because it's tropey as hell so like why would i bother finishing it um so it sounds like maybe they should take a break yeah, for sure. Especially, at least me. I'm taking a break. Well, right. But, I mean, there's been so much Far Cry in the past couple of years. Yeah. Like, like, from 3 with all the DLC, right. 4 with the DLC, Primal, then 5 right. with Primal. DLC, and now oh, New gosh. Dawn. Like, that's so... And that's all been in, what, the past, like, 5 years? That's a, so much Far Cry. Yeah. It's too much. Yes. 
Um, and I've never been like a big Far Cry person. I played a little bit of three and a little bit of four. Yeah. I think I played a little bit of the um, the futuristic DLC for three. What was Blood that? Dragon. Blood Dragon. I played a little bit of that, which yeah. I liked that. That was cool. But like, I don't know. I've just never been that interested. Right. It's that they never do. There's never enough story to get you really invested. Yeah. Like, it's just a fun playground. And I think it's worthwhile for that. But not like every year, not a release every right. year. That's right. nuts. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with Far Cry. Um, I picked up because Giant Bomb did a quick look of it. I picked up East Shade on Compooper, and it's just like this really nice, take it at your own pace adventure game where you're just hmm. like walking around this really pretty world. All the inhabitants are like animal people. It's like there's like a an- anthropomorphic people or. Right, like anthropomorphic animals. Um, it's like they're the sheriff is a bear, okay. and he's just like walking around on his hind legs as a bear, wearing a uniform. And then it's like this kind of like a fantasy setting, um, and it's just really good. Like you're a painter, and so you have like these commissions where you're trying to go around and line up the shot right, and then like you're scavenging materials to build canvases and other items, mm-hmm. like. You can't go out at night because it gets super cold, but if you have this certain type of brew that you can either buy or make, you can still walk around at night. And certain certain painting pictures or certain like adventure gamey objectives, like fetch questy stuff, happen at night. So like, oh, you gotta get a brew and then take that and walk around and then you know kind of do that sort of thing. And it's just like really peaceful, very easygoing, stark contrast to what Far Cry <laughs> was presenting me with. And it's just a very pleasant place to be, and like kind of like a just a weird, fascinating um, setting. It's just really, really strange uh, with all the different so. Is animals. it is it is it like an old school adventure game where you're where you have like items that you need to use to solve puzzles? Or yeah. Is it okay? And like like fetch questy stuff and like dialogue yeah. trees, stuff like that. Like talking to one person and hey, like. There's this girl that I like over, you know, she works at the spice market stall. Like, I really like her, and I want to take her on a special trip somewhere or whatever, but I don't know where her favorite place is because you find out her favorite place without letting her know that it's for me or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so, like, you got to pick the right dialogue to kind of figure that out, and then you go report it back, and then they go, and they have a great time, and they give you, like, some currency or whatever. So I guess is it more like... A Telltale adventure game, or like Secret of Monkey Island adventure game, or like Night in the Woods adventure game. I didn't play like, Night what, in the Woods. Um, well, because Night in the Woods was is mostly it's more just like mist story. Okay, all right. So it's more like exploratory. Yeah, but like if Mist was populated with people that you could actually talk yeah. to and stuff. But there, there is a lot okay. of also environment stuff. Like there was a mirror puzzle that I solved, mm-hmm. like with like reflecting sun rays that I was moving mm-hmm. stuff around with. Um, which was actually kind of frustrating. What's the art style? Um, just like looking good, Unreal Engine. <laughs> like, is it first person? Yeah. Um, ah, just like okay. uh, I'm not gonna say it's not oversaturated. It's just very colorful. Um, because it is. It's not like it cartoony. It's more realistic. Looking. Right. Yeah, and it isn't like a painterly aesthetic. Like when you paint the pictures, it like applies a paint like mm-hmm. an oil painting filter on the picture that you took, but the actual world doesn't look like that. Um, it does, it does look good in most places. Um, 
It's just like a fun, smaller experience. That's East is Shade. It, is it PC only? I think it's only on PC, but okay. that might not be true. Because that sounds like something I could check out. I'll, I'll right. watch the quick look. And and for listeners that are curious, that was saying on GiantBomb.com or on their YouTube channel, you could find out a quick look of that if you want to check it out. I might look into that. I, I am not convinced. If it's a first-person Unreal Engine game, I'm not convinced my PC could run it all that well. Which would yeah, it gets a little a framey for me even sometimes. Okay, well then that's um, not gonna happen. Yeah, I think it's only on PC. Okay, it's twenty five bucks. That's but cool. It, it's it's, it's a lot of cool. fun. It's neat. Yeah. Um, so I have picked Pokemon Let's Go back up actually in in a pretty big way just because I've been like just tired and I don't want to dive into something new. I've just been playing Pokemon Let's Go very casually while I like watch YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah. And that's been a really good way to play, to get back into the game, I should say. Um, I got the fourth badge, but I also came across, like, I got to Saffron City, which is where, like, um, Team Rocket has taken over and you have to fight a bunch of people before you can get to the fifth badge and get to the uh, Hitman Lee, Hitman Chan Karate Dojo. Yeah. And, like, I was coming across. Team Rocket members with Pokemon that are like the same level as mine, and I was like, "Oh, well, then my dudes are under leveled because that shouldn't be happening." And I think it's because I had a like all my guys were like level like thirty eight, but I had a Pidgeotto that I decided I, I once I got Venusaur, I got rid of Venusaur because he's useless, and I brought back Pidgeotto just because I wanted to get a Pidgeot. I never get Pidgeot because Pidgeotto runs out of his usefulness before he evolves. Yeah. So I got, like, I have, like, a level 38 everybody except my Pidgeotto, who was, like, level 28. And so because of the way that um, raising your Pokemon works in this game, when you catch Pokemon, everybody just gets evenly distributed right. experience points, which is really annoying. So they'll never, an, they'll never catch up. Yeah. As, as an OCD person, I want all my guys to always be the same level. That's part of the totally. enjoyment I get. So whenever I would fight trainers, I'm, like, only using Pidgeotto. Because I want him to get as much experience and catch up as much as possible. Because of that, my other guy started falling behind. And so when I got that badge, everybody was like 38 and then Pidgeotto was like 32 or 34 or something. And in the fourth badge, I was fighting like level 36 guys. So it was just like I wasn't as high level as I wanted to be. Right. So eventually I just went and I was like, you know what? I have 150 Pokeballs. I'm just going to go to this one area where I know I can get a really good chain of catching Drowsies. It's actually, I think it's the it's the route east of Vermilion City where you get on the SSN. I think the area right, like, yeah, right by Diglett Cave. Yeah, you can catch Drowsies over there. Yeah, I think like one, that, one that's by Diglett Cave. So I just went there and just caught like 30 Drowsies in a row and got yeah. a nice bonus. And especially for like when you get the tiny or the huge ones, yeah, you I was get getting like 900 XP. XP because of the, the catch multiplier. So uh, I, I got Pidgeotto to level 36, which is where it evolved into Pidgeot. And I think all the rest of my guys are like level 41, which feels good. But now I'm like, now I don't know who I'm going to use as my sixth Pokemon. Because right. in, in this version... Charizard actually learns flying moves, which in the old school games he did not. So he has like wing attack or something, or maybe air dash or no air dash. I think is the fly. And you certainly. go the but, hypno, evolve a drowsy. Yeah, I thought about that. I thought about doing that instead, but then I feel like I'm in the same spot again because then I'm I have like a level fifteen drowsy that I just need to never use, and eventually he'll sort of catch up to my other guys. I'm just like 
that just really is frustrating with this game because yeah. it it's it's almost prohibitively tedious to raise up an old Pokemon to match levels of your new ones. Because theoretically, you could say, okay, I'm just going to commit and I'll get an entire party of level 15 dudes and I'll re-raise all of them up and then I have a bunch of guys that I can mix around with. But the only way I can raise guys that are that low level is by catching other Pokemon, which require Pokeballs and Great Balls, which cost money. So eventually I will run out of money and not be able to do that. No, there are things that you can do every day, like... Yes, right. To get some money. But... But still, eventually, like, I will run out. I think that, like, Pearl or whatever you get from watching the, the Slowpoke, it's worth, like, a thousand money. There's another one the... in another another city that I read about where it's, like, well, a I big Pearl or something, and it's, like, three or five thousand. But my point is, you can't just do it at the pace and the way that you want. Sure. The game constrains you to how you can raise your Pokemon, and that's very frustrating. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Um, it's weird that like in the conceptual phase, they didn't think about that. Like, Oh, well, what if there is another, like, what is the scenario in which there is another Pokemon that they catch that they want to input into their party? How are they going to catch that Pokemon up? Yep. And there is an answer. Put them, put them in the, um, the, uh, daycare, I guess. Yeah. So here's this Pokemon you want to use that you just got to fucking wait around to use. Like that sucks. And hope that they don't delete a cool move. And to like, right? Because that's what happens at the daycare. Like they randomly pick moves for your Pokemon as they level up. So yeah, that that's been quite annoying. Um, but playing it casually, like I sat and watched YouTube videos for like an hour and a half and just kept catching drowsies, and I was like barely paying attention to the game because like that's not fun. <laughs> catching thirty drowsies is not fun. Right. But I did it, and I got my guys up a couple levels. I got my Pidgeot, so it's it's fine in a a very passive experience of the game and the last thing i'll mention before i move on to stuff we've been watching um i have been so i was a while ago listening to a bunch of video game soundtracks in preparation of my game of the year list and i just kind of got hooked on them and i keep listening to them and the one for super smash brothers ultimate the playlist has over 950 tracks because there's so much music in that game. So I've just been li- I listened to that for like three weeks and never ran out. And uh, I just had a realization that the music from like the recent Sonic games, boy howdy is it bad. It's so aggressively bad. Some people like might very... say everything about those new Sonic games is aggressively bad. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's like modern pop punk with like the lyrics are just painful. Yeah. It sucks. And so it like when I'm listening to it, it's a bunch of classic Nintendo music from series I love, both old games and new. And then every time I, you know, the classic Sonic songs from like, you know, Tree Hill Zone or whatever like that, I still listen to it. It's still great. But anytime like one from like, oh, Sonic, I don't even know the names of recent Sonic games. Sonic Sonic Smash, I don't I don't know. But like a song like that will come on, I'm like, "Oops, skip. Definitely skip that one." So it was just an observation. But if you're looking for music to listen to while at work and you don't want to listen to mostly stuff that like has lyrics, like I don't, I can't listen to stuff that has a lot of lyrics because I'm writing a lot at work and that's distracting. But uh, that lasted me several weeks and now I'm, I finished it and now I don't know what to listen to. I re-listened to the Donut County soundtrack. I re-listened to the Super Mario Odyssey soundtrack. So I got to find my next one. I think I might do one that's like a little older, but has really like Hotline Miami. 
or like Luft Rousers or something right. like that that's like nice and aggressive. Super Meat Boy, something yeah. like that. So that's everything we've been playing. Um, I know you have also been continued to watch The Punisher. Yes. Did you finish The Punisher? I did. I didn't. Yet again, I okay. didn't. I failed on something I wanted to accomplish. Man, I still. I know. I still have like three or four episodes left. I only watched like two episodes, but I'm. I'll. I'm, I'll finish it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna the do ending. It. The ending surprised me, but I kind of really liked it. Okay, that's good to hear. Knowing that they've already canceled it, I've been very nervous about how the last. The last. Uh, the episode will wrap up. Yeah. No, I'm happy with the way it ended. Um. The only thing I'll say is it, it's feeling very disjointed for me at this juncture i'm like two-thirds of the way through because it's kind of like three primary storylines right there is the jigsaw side there is the religious dude hunting down the girl side and then there's like the old story of like the russians where someone died and i don't even know what that was and none of them like the religious and the russian side in this last episode i just watched i think that's coming together but it's still like so separate from Jigsaw. And Frank even makes a comment to Amy, the girl, in an episode where he's like, let me deal with Jigsaw, then we'll deal with this other thing. And that was very, it felt very transparent of like, these two stories are separate. Yeah. And I'm going, okay, but then why are they both there? It just, that, I'm not, I don't think the writing of those is is all that strong. Well, it makes me almost wonder if they kind of saw the cancellation coming and they like put two seasons worth of problems into one season. Maybe. That's possible. Because they, they never really, yeah, they never really intersect in, like, a critical way. Right. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I'm still enjoying the show. Um, it, it will be the last Marvel Netflix show I ever watch, so I certainly hope that it wraps up well. Because I ain't watching season three of Jessica Jones, that's for damn sure. Nerd. But, uh, yeah, so it, it, it's been good. There's a couple, been a couple more kind of big action sequences. There's especially one that, like, takes place during the daytime. That holy crap was very intense. So a lot of that's still really good. Which one was that? I mean, basically Frank's like chasing. It's where Frank kind of meets up with uh, Billy, and Billy kind of like oh, figures out yeah. that Frank is Frank was trying to kill him in the yeah. past because Billy still doesn't remember have his memory going. But yeah, that was uh, that was pretty pretty in- intense. Um, so looking forward. Hopefully, there's like a big another big uh, final battle would be very cool. Uh, and then I've been watching a lot of the same stuff, so still watching a little bit of Arrested Development, Kitchen Nightmares. We finished Titan Games. It was real dumb. So Not going to watch finish it. it? Yeah, we watched the last like finale, whatever. It's stupid. Who cares? Dwayne The Rock Johnson's The Titan Games? Yeah. DJ. He goes by DJ in this show. He's rebranding himself yet again. This is like the fifth time. Hey, that's his specialty, man. Rebranding himself. <laughs> The ego on that guy. Uh, Wrestler to tooth fairy to action hero. <laughs> to executive producer. Yeah. And this is the way they reference like, oh, DJ created this obstacle for this purpose. I'm like, he didn't create shit. Is he? An, does he have an engineering degree I don't know about? Like he built this thing himself. Or is this a joke? <laughs> There's like a team of people somewhere that like, yeah, okay. Yeah, like, he created. Fuck me, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully they got paid well at least. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. And then, um, we started watching, it's always sunny rewatching for the millionth time. So that is our replacement to the office. We stopped watching the office after the Niagara Falls wedding. 
and we're going to pretend like it was the end of the show. <laughs> Sounds so good. We're on like season three of It's Always Sunny already. We've been watching it a lot. It's a pretty funny show, in case you guys didn't know. It's yeah. always sunny. It's pretty good. Uh, and then the last thing, Game of Thrones, the final season, starts in April, April 14th. Two days after my birthday, one day before my wife's birthday. So we're pretty hyped about it. The last season was a big bummer for me because it felt like bad fan fiction. But I still want to see how everything ends. It'll be exciting to like have theories about what's happening and all that kind of stuff again. But we wanted to like rewatch the show to lead up to it. And we sat down and said, okay, there are 67 episodes that from the beginning to catch up. We had like 45 days in between when we were going to start and when the new season would air. Plus, Penny will be born any day now. And so we had a moment of like, is there a universe where we can totally watch everything and catch up? And then we were like, no. (laughs) We'd have to watch like an episode and a half a day. Plus, we're going to have a newborn daughter. Like, yeah, I'll be, I have two weeks of paternity leave. But it's not like we're going to be sitting there watching Game of Thrones all day long with no interruptions. Like, we'll be taking care of our newborn daughter. So, instead, we just started season six. So, we're going to watch seasons six and seven. And we'll be able to accomplish that before season eight airs. So, we're only a couple episodes in. I have very mixed feelings about a lot of the stuff that happens in these previous two seasons. Because it's when it moved past the books. And I felt like the writing and the storytelling really started to suffer. But I'm trying to let that go. Just enjoy it for what it is and not play the, like, I wish game. And hopefully that will help me enjoy the final season more. It's still a good show. It still, I think, is one of the greatest shows I've ever seen, all things um, notwithstanding. So, anything else you've been watching? Um, Yeah, so, um, Kara and I really like our, like... Check out this crazy architecture home shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and Grand Designs was one that we had really liked. And they put up a Grand Designs Australia a little while ago. Mm. It's a different host. And this host is kind of a dick. Like, he's just, <laughs> like, really invasive and kind of rude about the way that he, like, enters people's lives. Because the other guy was, like, really respectful. Um, okay. And he's just, like, this dude just kind of, like, butts his nose in and, like... Like, so what's the budget? Oh, that's pretty low. That's a really low budget for this. I don't think you're going to be able to do that. Like, whereas the other guy's like, I think that'll be a bit of a challenge, but I'm excited to see how you guys pull it off. This guy's like, I don't think you can do that. That Hmm. seems ridiculous. (laughs) Like, he's just like kind of like negative and upfront about stuff in kind of a way that I don't really appreciate. Um, And I also think like the stories have not been as interesting so far in terms of the builds. Uh, I've only seen like three or four episodes of it so far, but. I'll keep watching it because there are only so many of those shows. And we're like the original this is Grand Designs is the name of this. Yeah. Was, was that like just took place wherever, but this one's focused on Australia? I think it was mainly in Europe. Okay. The original. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then because I site managed this past weekend, I read Descender, Volume 6. Nice. Apparently, that was the last volume (laughs) because it ended. And I was like, oh, shit. But then it was like, hey, tune in next time with Ascender, Volume 1. And the the Volume 1, I don't know when Issue 1 comes out, but Volume 1 will be out in October of this year. 
That's so a, a sender. And it's actually like it kind of wrapped up in a really quick way. You know how comics sometimes do. Yeah. Um, and like that wasn't wholly satisfying. So I'm glad that they're like, and it's kind of a continuation deal with some other things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's that's interesting at least. That was definitely my biggest thing, like, when I got back into comics recently and then fell off really quickly again. But it was, like, I forgot how quickly they move through storylines. Yeah. Like, they'll introduce a new story. Like, it was was a Star Wars comic, and it was, like, a war that was going to happen. I was like, oh, okay, well, here's the next 20 issues. And it was, like, three. (laughs) And then they were like, oh, it's done. And it's just, like, it feels, I'm just like, I get it. You're putting out an, uh, an issue a month if not, like, a little sooner than that. But, like, why would you rush through story like that? It just seems like a weird choice. Yeah. Not that they'll theoretically run out if they don't want to, but I don't Right, know. well, I just think, like, comics are expensive to make. Um, yeah. And I can't... I, I imagine it's kind of, in some ways, like, a dwindling market now that, like, there's, like, digital um, options. And so, I don't know. Like, maybe it's just that they are expensive, and so they want to make sure they have the production money to finish a run or like finish. Well, an arc. and I think it's also about like keeping things new and fresh and exciting, like yeah. constantly introducing new things. I, I think might be a big part of it. Hopefully with the advent of um, digital, that would help broaden the market of comics. Cause that's True. definitely something where it became more niche because it was becoming prohibitively expensive for people to, that's you know, true. like I was, I was definitely a hardcore comic reader, I was getting way more comics than the average person a month, but like I was spending like $30 a week at the comic book store. It's crazy. Getting like, you know, five, six issues a week. Like that's, that's a lot of money. Right. And I, yeah, I, just, I, I, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what they make more money on print issues or digital issues. Cause digital issues you get for like a dollar, $2. Well, yeah, it's gotta be print. Because primarily on digital, like, there are subscription services. People aren't paying for individual issues. Like, they're paying uh, for, like, the DC Universe subscription or whatever. Right, but you get all the old stuff with that. You don't get the new stuff. Because uh, 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 my friend Cody has the Marvel thing, and okay. you get access to all the legacy Marvel stuff, but all the new stuff you still have to buy the issues of. Oh. Um, and it's, like, a buck or two bucks an issue for the digital version. Well, that's not that much cheaper. Because most new Most new issues are $3, right? Uh, probably three or four. Yeah, maybe depending. some of them are four. Yeah, that's right. Because I remember when, this was back in like 2008. But, uh, holy shit, that was 10 years ago. But <laughs> DC had its whole thing of hold the line at 299 Because uh, okay. a lot of comics were going up to 399 especially on the Marvel side. And that was what they wanted to be their competitive advantage was. We're going to keep... And they, it wasn't even everything. So, like, it takes away the whole point. But most of their ongoings, their monthlies, were still two ninety nine, which was appreciated. But, yeah, I remember that. Hold the line at two ninety nine. It's quite dumb. Quite yeah. dumb. Um, the last thing I'll mention before we jump into news, we watched Bohemian Rhapsody, which was yeah. it was good. Did you it watch was it? It was fine. I went yeah, and saw you, it in yeah, theaters. Okay. It was yeah, fine. I, I liked it. I thought Rami Malek was fantastic. As yeah. Freddie Mercury, uh, I, I really enjoyed the characterization of him. And, like, I, you know, I love Queen. I think they are probably the greatest rock band of all time. But, like, I, I wasn't, like, a super fan or a huge Freddie Mercury person. So I didn't know about his life, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So that part of it was really fascinating. Um, 
I will say I don't think the movie it felt a little shallow. Like there wasn't a ton of story to it. It was just kind of yeah. like here's how they became successful and that happened really quickly and then it was a bunch of like smaller vignettes about Freddie Mercury's life. It didn't really feel like there was necessarily a through line. Um the except for the fact that Freddie Mercury was like a dick most of his life. Well, fair. He's a famous <laughs> artist. But <laughs> kind of made me like Queen less. The movie made me like that. Queen less a little bit. Um but it was more like the whole drug abuse, his homosexuality, the depression, all of that stuff. Like it felt very surface level. They didn't really go for it in a lot of things. And that like I don't know why. Like I I don't know if because and this is again because I don't know the reality and I I don't know if there are things out there that have given more detail on Freddie Mercury's life than this movie. So it might just be that we don't have the information to know about his like different partners and everything he was doing behind the scenes. We might just not know. Right. But I feel like it might also be because they're like, hey, this is a movie about Queen and Freddie Mercury. Everyone loves Freddie Mercury. People want to come see this. We need to appeal to broad America. And so we can't make this movie too gay or like too much about AIDS. Like, because that might offend people and push people away. I wonder mm. if that was part of it, too. Because the whole thing felt a little shallow. It's still a great movie. I loved all the music, obviously. But it wasn't, like... It didn't feel Best Picture nominee to me, which yeah. it was. Although, to be fair, Black Panther was also nominated for Best Picture. And that movie is actually bad. Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't bad. Black Panther is a bad movie. No one will be able to convince me otherwise. So I don't know. It's it's it was a good celebration of Queen and they did a lot of really cool things visually with like, you know, them playing the songs live, what they did with Bohemian Rhapsody, the song itself, where it was a lot of like them creating the song. So a lot of that was really cool, but the story of it didn't hit me as as, as much as I would have liked. So how about we talk about some news? Sure. So the big hitter new Pokemon game. Yeah, th- maybe this one won't be half terrible. <laughs> right. So, Nintendo announced that they were having a direct for the following day. <laughs> and it was going to be about Pokemon, which was pretty exciting. It was only seven minutes, which was a bit of a bummer. But it being seven minutes and at 9 a.m. meant that I actually watched it when I got into the office. So, I didn't feel bad about watching it at the office. And this is where they unveiled the new Pokemon games. Pokemon Sword... And Pokemon Shield. Because they're out of precious stones. Pokemon Gun. (laughs) (laughs) That's been my favorite joke. Pokemon Gun as the as the like combined version of it. Um We they didn't give a ton of details. They kind of like highlighted that it's taking place in the Galar region, which I guess has been modeled after Great Britain. It looked like a lot of variety in uh the visual identity. So there are lots of like vast plains and like fields um not not like grassy fields but like uh, golden corn whatever fields i don't it's not actually corn but it's like not grass but it's this golden stuff wheat yes that's the one wheat fields yeah you know the golden corn (laughs) wheat I'm not saying that wheat is golden corn. I was just, I was trying to think of what. It's kind of what you golden. said. <laughs> Though. 
Oh yeah, you know, my wife, corn. she has a gluten allergy. She can't eat all that golden corn. <laughs> Regular yeah. corn though, she's okay with. So anyway, <laughs> a lot of visual variety. There's like a snowy mountain area, which is cool. Um so I don't know, the visual style, it looks very much like Pokemon Let's Go, which is ba- based on the Pokemon Sun and Moon engine on 3DS. So it's not like visually, um, it's not going to blow you away visually in terms of like the fidelity. It looks like they're getting back to random battles and hopefully the old Pokemon catching mechanics, which is just where you wear them down and then you catch them with the Pokeball, no motion control bullshit. Which yeah. I'm very much looking forward to. Honestly, the one thing that I really liked from Let's Go was the fact that you could see the Pokemon before you caught them. I yeah. kind of liked that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm okay with the random battles. I've been okay with them for decades now. But right. like, I kind of liked being able to see them. But whatever. My, I, yes, I agree. And there is, it, it can't have been hard for them to combine both of those. But at least, like, I would prefer random battles and old catching mechanics oh, yeah. to seeing the Pokemon and Pokemon Go catching mechanics. So, yeah. obviously, yes, I agree. It would have been better to be able to see the Pokemon. That just makes it a little more engaging. But the randomness is, it's a little bit exciting, though, right? Like, yeah. especially when you're in an area where there could be a rare Pokemon, like, waiting for it to come on screen and see if it's there. There's that little bit of excitement that um, you miss when you just see every Pokemon before you you try to engage with it. Yeah. I don't know. I can see it both ways. Um, They showed the three new Pokemon starters. So there is Grookey, who is a grass monkey with like a stick. And he's amazing. He's my favorite. Pretty good. And then there is Score Bunny, who I don't like the name of, but he's like a fiery fast rabbit type guy. And then there's Sobble, which has been the internet's favorite because he's this like timid water lizard that goes invisible and he looks really depressed. And because it's a bunch of millennials, they're like, oh, I identify that. He has anxiety just like me, which is I wish I could turn invisible. Yeah. Uh, So they're all cool. I am hoping that they have dual types as they evolve because that's been a cool thing that they've done with with starters. I am hoping that they don't just make Score Bunny another firefighting type. Because that there've been several of those already. Yeah, Blaziken and yeah, yeah. Um, the the most recent one in Sun and Moon, he was oh, fire was he firefighting? Too, I think I think so. Uh, so it, I mean, it could be cool to see like if Grookey was like grass fighting, and then Sobble was like uh, water ghost, and then if Score oh, Bunny cool would be thought. like the the theory could be like Score Bunny could be like fire electric because he's like this super fast rabbit whatever guy. That so would that be could sweet. Be, yeah, like make them a little bit more unique um, dual types would, would be neat. They didn't yeah. show any other new Pokemon, um, but they saw you saw a bunch of Pokemon from different generations. So like Pikachu was in it, um, but also um, they had like, oh, what was the uh, Dragonfly Pokemon? I don't remember what his name was, but he's from like Gen 4 maybe. And then Hoot Hoot was in it, I believe, from Gen 2. Um, so a lot of different Pokemon from different generations. So hopefully that means it'll be a pretty broad, large pool of Pokemon that you can catch. Not advocating that they have all like 800 of them in there, but a lot would be cool. Yeah. I do hope they have a lot of new Pokemon, even though they're definitely running out of ideas (laughs) when it comes to new Pokemon. And a lot of the more recent gens have had some real, real dumb Pokemon designs. 
Uh, but it's always more exciting to catch some new guys than like, oh, I'm going to use Geodude again, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, so basically it feels like this game is going to be Pokemon Let's Go, but in a new region with some new Pokemon and the traditional Pokemon catching mechanics. And I would say that is fine with me. Like, I am excited for this. In a perfect world, this would have been Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, but with Pokemon, where it's this big, open, third-person area, where it's like a completely open world, complete freedom to run wherever you want. That would have been the perfect situation. And being able to see the Pokemon out in the world, like, that would be the ideal. But that's never going to happen. So I forget, in the trailer, or the direct, did they show you, like, throwing a Pokeball and catching a Pokemon? I don't think they did. Because it would be interesting so. if, like, you still battle the Pokemon, but then you do, like, the Pokemon Let's Go capture mechanic where you have control over, like, you do the little catching minigame. So there's, like, and if that minigame actually affected how you... How well, there you go. Catching the Pokemon. Yeah, that's that's the key because right now it is absolutely random. There is no skill involved in right. catching a Pokemon in Pokemon Let's Go, which it's just takes an, away it's the just entire XP point. bonus. Don't don't I don't I'm not gonna nope I'm not gonna go into this again. I'm not gonna <laughs> about the catching mechanics in Pokemon Let's Go again. It's so frustrating to like get the absolute perfect throw, the like exceptional or whatever it is. The, Excellent. Excellent, yeah. Where you get, like, the perfect thing, and then it escapes after one. Like, you use your Ultra Ball. It's yellow, a yellow bar. You get the perfect throw, and then it pops out. And I'm just like, why? Why? What What could I have done better to catch this Pokemon? I can't. I can't do it. Gotta roll the dice better, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um... Obviously, we will learn more as time goes on. I'm sure they'll reveal some other new Pokemon. The legendaries will be a big thing in determining, like, do you want to get sword or do you want to get shield? Uh, so I'm excited. Uh, it being a new region is probably, like, the most exciting part of it. Um, do you know what starter you're going to go with? Or do you want to um, wait and see the evolutions? Well, I don't know. I kind of... Well, yeah, I definitely want to wait and see the evolutions. But I also want to know, like, what... If they are doing, like, the double types, I want to see what those right. are. Yeah, for sure. Grookey, Grookey's my favorite, just because he's a little monkey, and he's green, and he's got a little stick. I like him the most, but if the other guys have cool evolutions and stuff... Yeah, I'm a I sucker almost for am fire just, types. I'm, yeah, I, I'm de- me too, but Scorbunny seems the most... I mean, this is a complete assumption based on very little, but he seems the most, like, um, the same as Pokemon we've seen before. Like, Sobble and Grookey feel like they have a little more uniqueness to them than um, Pokemon in the past. Yeah. But I'm kind of, like, anti-Sobble just because the internet's reaction, and I just hate the internet. Like, the at, at large, in general, I hate people on the <laughs> internet, and they love Sobble, which makes me, like, not like Sobble. So, we'll see. Maybe if he's, like, a cool ghost lizard guy, like, that could be pretty legit. But, we'll see. Okay. Um, we are going to see the new Star Wars game from Respawn on April 13th, which is pretty legit. I am very excited. Um, I think this is part of... I'm pulling up the article here. I should have written it down. It's Um, part of the Star Wars Celebration. Star Wars Celebration. That's the name of it. That's what I was trying to get to. Which, why they don't have it on May the 4th, who knows? (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's still, they say, is still supposed to release, or at least they haven't disputed it or changed it. It's still supposed to release this holiday. In 2019. So this should be a large reveal if they're playing on revealing it. 
and then you'd imagine we're going to see more of it at um, E3. Yeah, maybe they'll All be more excited about it this time. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it'll be an actual <laughs> announcement and not Vincent Pella sitting in a chair like, wait, what? What's like, happening? Oh, uh, yeah, oh, sure, fine, I'll say the name. Fine. <laughs> um, I should have done this transition better, but the... I was going to say we should see more of it at E3, but we may not because EA is joining Sony and not having a press conference at E3. Great. They will still have their EA Play, which is a separate event that happens a couple days before E3. Uh, and they'll sell a presence there where they have, you know, you can buy tickets and go play games. But they're not going to have a traditional press conference, which is crazy. That leads me to believe that maybe they just don't have that much to announce. Like, maybe if they were saving the Star Wars announcement for E3, they would have done it. Right. But, like, what else are they going to be showing there? Like... More sports? Well, yeah. Sports games. More Star Wars. Skull and Bones. Uh, yeah. Like, what else do they even have that's in the pike? A follow-up to... Um, oh, no. That's a Ubisoft game. Yeah. I don't even know what they could possibly be announcing. Another Mirror's Edge? <laughs> I mean, that's never going to happen. Probably not. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. It's starting to bum me out just because one of the things I it, that's my favorite things in the summer is taking two days off of work and like the whole weekend and Monday and Tuesday ordering some wings and whatever and just like sitting and watching the press conferences, live tweeting during them. Like that's been a really fun thing for me to do. It's like a little mini vacation I take every June. And now I'm kind of like, am I going to do that this year? Because if, like, I guess to be fair, EA is usually on Saturday, and then Sony's usually Sunday night. So theoretically, like, if all the rest of it's the same, I think that means Ubisoft would be on Monday. I mean, who knows? We'll see the schedule. But, like, Nintendo would still be on Tuesday. But they've done, they've even taken their kind of presence at E3 to be much smaller. Right. So I don't know. It just, it, EA is continuing to feel less and less meaningful. Even as a viewer, not even as someone going to the show or as a purchaser, but even someone that just wants to watch it for cool video games, I'm starting to feel less invested in, in E3. Yeah, well, so, like everyone's they're kind of spreading out, right? Yeah, like everyone's doing their like own. They're thing. doing their own streaming thing. They're like spreading out the timetable, and it's like because before it like it used to be a holiday, mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the summer, and it was a great way to kick off the summer. Like you have stuff to look forward to. It was like there's the biggest gaming week of the year. Yeah, there's like the stuff that they announce and launch at the same time, like the play immediate stuff. Like that was always really awesome to look forward to. There's always at least like one thing every year that you could do that with. Um, mm-hmm. And this like it's going away, and that sucks. Yeah, I mean times change. They're adapting. It, it, from their perspective, it 100% makes sense. I'm not blaming any of them for doing what they are doing, assuming it all works out. But as a consumer that just wants to enjoy video games for that week, it kind of sucks for us. Yeah. Good news. Cyberpunk 2077 will be at E3. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, CD Projekt Red came out and said uh, last year they kind of had their reveal trailer at... Um, Microsoft press conference, and then they had an extended behind closed doors demo, which people could talk about, but they didn't reveal any footage from. And then a couple months later, I think it was like maybe in August, they had that like gameplay walkthrough that was like an hour long video, which was pretty um, linear. Like, in they knew what they wanted to do was narrated. So hopefully, this means them being at E3 again this year. We'll see more of it, presumably again at the Microsoft press conference, maybe a dank gameplay demo or something, but. The bigger thing is that um, 
outlets will be able to talk more about cyberpunk and potentially show their own unique capture videos of them playing the game right. that would be cool just a little more context around the game versus just a very um kind of linear demo of it right yeah so th- i, I want to see like less manicured gameplay like yeah. i want to like i want to see people playing the actual game. people playing it yep so that should be cool um gearbox says that they have reveals for packs PAX East is at the end of March. Gearbox has a panel at PAX, and they are promising, quote-unquote, never-before-seen reveals. So, obviously, this is hopefully Borderlands 3. We know they've been working on it. They showed at GDC last year, or maybe the year before. They're kind of like open-world Borderlands 3 tech. Right. So, presumably, that they've still been working on it, and uh, hopefully it'll come out. Um, at Take-Two's earnings call, which I believe we talked about before, they had said they have a highly anticipated shooter releasing in fiscal 2020, which we are will be in as of April 1st. So it runs from April 1st to March 31st. So that highly anticipated shooter is probably Borderlands 3, yeah. which means it will come out like this fall or maybe in the spring next year, um, which would be very cool. I get very pumped about that. I mean, we've talked a bunch about how games this year, at least games with release dates, were feeling kind of meh. About 2019. Yeah. Certainly that could change with, you know, if The Last of Us 2 comes out this year, stuff like that. But from the stuff that's announced, it's just kind of like, ugh, compared to tw- how awesome 2017 was, how awesome 2018 was. So if Borderlands 3 came out this year as well, um, that could be pretty neato. Yeah, for sure. I like I, I didn't play whatever the one was that was on the moon. Pre-sequel? Yeah, the pre-sequel. I didn't play that one. So I haven't played a Borderlands since 2. I feel like I could play another Borderlands game. I played probably 20 hours of the pre-sequel, and it ended up as one of my most disappointing games of the year that it came out, so I didn't like it very much. Was that their... That wasn't their A-team that made that, though, right? That was a completely different studio. Yeah. I think it was like 2K something that made that game. Uh, It just didn't, didn't control well. Because it was on the moon, it was low gravity. Everything felt... Pardon the pun. Floaty. Like, the shooting didn't feel super accurate. Right. And it had this, like, arbitrary oxygen mechanic where you had to go and, like, replenish your oxygen at these little stations that were interspersed around. Which made it, like, really hard to explore. Which is the fun of Borderlands is just running in a direction and you may- maybe you'll find a hidden boss or some cool gun. And it, it made that, like, not viable. It was a bad game. It was a re- It was just not good. Yikes. It was a bummer. All right. So speaking of yikes, this is just like when I first heard about this and I didn't have all the context, I was kind of like, is this as big of a deal as people are making it? And then once I read more about it, I was like, yeah, it is. I didn't even know this thing existed. Me either. And I wish I, I still didn't know that it yeah, existed. I, I don't use the parent site ever. So, so for context, THQ Nordic who is the studio, we, we talk about them just about every episode because they buy a new studio or another IP or something. They've been doing right. a lot of really cool stuff in video games. They held an AMA on 8chan, which is an offshoot of 4chan. 4chan is a website and forum that is infamous for just racism and just the worst kinds of neo-Nazi, gross absolute dredges of human existence are the frequenters of 4chan. 
8chan was created because some people at 4chan said, you have too many limitations on the things that we can say and post. So that should tell you something about 8chan. Like, 8chan is legitimately known for, like, child pornography posts. It's, like, borderline dark web illegal parts of the internet. Right. You can't even get to 8chan through Google. Yeah. Like, Google won't even let you go on 8chan. The article I read on Game Informer, I will repeat their advice. Don't go looking at 8chan, even out of morbid curiosity, because there is a non-zero chance going to 8chan will legitimately put you on the FBI's watch list. Like, it's, it is a shit place for shit people. Uh, so THQ Nordic held an AMA on 8chan. What the hell are you guys doing? And so during it, like, people are posting these just awful anti-Semitic, racist, bigoted remarks, posting, like, anime child pornography and actual child pornography, like, in the comments of the AMA. Like, what the hell were they doing? And when they first announced that they would be doing it, people were like, is this just, like, a really sick, weird joke? Like, they're not actually going to do this, right? And then they actually did it. And it was a bigger train wreck than people even thought it could be. So immediately afterwards, the THQ Twitter account, like, they issued an apology. And they basically said, like, we didn't know that it was this bad. But, like, if you didn't know that it was... I had never heard of 8chan. But if 8chan approached me and said, hey, do you want to do an AMA on 8chan? I'd probably, like, look, look into, into 8chan. Like, like, like yeah. I would... Like, and, and what's, I feel like there's like a website that you can go to, to like, um, I don't know, Google search a, a, a company or a website. Like, what is that website that you can use to Google search things? Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Google. It's Google. Google. Yes. So I probably would have gone to Google and just put in like 8chan and hit enter. And then when it showed up with a bunch of po- articles talking about how 8chan is a bastion of child pornography and racism. And I couldn't even get to 8chan's website from Google. That probably would have raised a red flag. So the fact that they didn't know that 8chan was this bad. Means that they did literally no research into it at all. Or are lying. And either one of those is really a really bad look. So a week later. The CEO of THQ's parent company. I don't remember the name of it. It's THQ something else. He came out and like issued a more formal apology, like a longer description of what happened. And basically, it was the same thing. Like, we didn't know about this, obviously. If we could take it back, we would. We're, we're sorry. We aren't neo-Nazis. Like, if a company has to come out and say, we aren't neo-Nazi white supremacists. We are not neo-Nazis and we do not <laughs> condone child pornography. Someone fucked up big yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's like bad. That's bad to have to do that. <laughs> so... I don't know, dude. Like, it's just, I don't understand how this happened. It's a bad look. That's for sure. So I don't know. I, I don't know where, I don't know where you go from here. Uh, I am like, going I, was to Was someone hope. intentionally making their stock prices take a dive? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So they can gonna... buy some stock real quick before the next release? Oof. I'm I'm gonna hope that it, it is negligence that they they were just idiots and it somehow fell through the cracks and everybody thought that a different person was responsible for fact checking and it just like fell apart somehow like that's the best possible 
reason behind this. Because the other reason is someone knowingly wanted to do this. And then it becomes someone high up knowingly wanted to do this. And then it becomes kind of hard to like want to support a company like that. Uh, I am not an advocate for lambasting and boycotting an entire organization because of the actions of one of their employees. But this might be the borderline of that. So I don't know. Someone has a really shitty friend who they like, they were out at drinks and they're like, the shitty friend was like, Hey man, yeah, you guys should like do an AMA on uh, HN. And then like takes a sip of his drink and doesn't make eye contact. And the guy's like, HN. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like 4chan, but it's like twice as good against sips drink without making (laughs) eye contact. Oh, really? Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's bad. It's bad luck. It's bad luck. Yep. Uh, so this next story, I purposely placed here, because after the awfulness of talking about 8chan, this is a fun story. So, Plague Inc., which is a game wherein you control a virus throughout the course of human history, and you're kind of like fending off vaccinations, and people trying to find a cure for you and like you want to spread and murder the entire world, which might not sound good, but the context of the story is good. There was a petition that eventually got over 10,000 signees that wanted to add anti-vaxxers as a buff in Plague Inc. Which is awesome. If like you are your virus, you come to modern society There is a group of anti-vaxxers that don't want to work on a vaccination for your virus, and that makes your virus stronger, and it becomes easier to take over the world. And that is hilarious and brilliant. And they have come out and said, hey, you guys, you did the petition. This is what we said. Hey, if if we get 10,000 signees, we'll work on putting it in. They did, and they're going to put it in. So it's amazing. It's especially good because the makers of this game have been very active in raising awareness about different kinds of diseases and viruses. So, like, obviously you control a virus that's, you know, coming at it from the opposite angle. But they're using it as a means of, you know, raising awareness about problems. And one of which was uh, pulmonary fibrosis. I guess, like, they raise a lot of money and awareness specifically on that disease. So, this could bring attention and awareness to how absolutely ridiculous the anti-vaxxer movement is. We can only hope. Yep. Because those people belong on 8chan. <laughs> um, yeah, so. <laughs> uh, okay, so Octopath Traveler, which was a very good video game, released in 2018. Well, some caveats to that, but yeah. I think it was very good. It wasn't amazing. I would say some, just good. Some might say it was a borderline top 10 game of 2018. I would, I would say that. But uh, they're putting out a prequel to Octopath Traveler on mobile. So there's a trailer that you can watch. I'll link to the Game Informer article that, that has the trailer in it. It's all in Japanese. So I don't know the context necessarily or like how it, it's, you know, it's not showing actual controls or anything. So it could be, it could work out fine or not. But it being that it's kind of a turn-based RPG. It's probably fine. Yeah, I'm, it seems like that would be fine on mobile. Uh, yeah, it's a prequel, so it's like the Switch game in its look, but completely brand new story and characters. Um, the trailer shows a full party of eight characters, where like it's like two rows of four, and they're all attacking the enemies and stuff, which could be really fun. 
Um, there are not random battles. At least in the trailer, it showed you walking up to an enemy and instigating a battle, which is different than the actual game, which had random battles. So, that, I mean, it could be interesting. It's, it's going to be on iOS and Android. Um, as part of this announcement, they said they are working on a proper sequel to Octopath Traveler, which I could be interested in. I feel like the problems I had with Octopath Traveler could be fixed in a sequel. The actual yeah. gameplay, the visual style, like the high-level stuff that makes the game, I thought were fantastic. Yeah. It was mostly just like the story and the character interactions and the right. writing. How, the stories never really intersected. And, yeah. yeah. So all that stuff's very fixable. Um, it being on mobile, I'm not a big mobile gamer, but I have a phone that can run games well now with my XR, 10R, however you want to say it. So I might check it out. Assuming it's not like $20 or something crazy. Um, hopefully it's like a $5 game or even free to play. I don't know how you would monetize it, but I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll certainly check it out. Energy. Yeah, energy. You can only do a certain number of battles. Right. That would suck. Um, so here's a story that I found humorous. Um, Kyle, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. Hideo Kojima is saying that Death Stranding is, quote, slightly behind schedule. I don't know how he can say anything is slightly behind schedule because he doesn't adhere to a schedule. But the fact that he's saying it's slightly behind schedule means that this game is probably coming out in like eight years. So I just thought it was funny that he said that. Well, slightly like, behind schedule. That has always been the case with the Metal Gear games. And like that's why yeah. they wind up being masterpieces. Masterpieces. I would say that's why they end up having way too much shit going on in them. Which is, is why they keeps... are masterpieces. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> 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 but anyways, um, this game will probably be weird. It will most assuredly be weird. I think that the positive is, like, the people that are really highly anticipating Death Stranding, obviously, like, they don't want to wait longer, but they are used to waiting for a a Kojima game, and they are going to love it no matter what. So, like, they don't care that it might take an extra year even. Like, they're going to love the game regardless of its quality because people that like Kojima are insane, um, and there's no reasoning with them. So, you can reason with me. Clear. We've tried. I have tried. <laughs> it hasn't worked. You're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> I should create an anime cartoon about why Metal Gear is the most overrated video game franchise ever made. And then maybe you might understand it because it's anime. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't like Kingdom Hearts 3. Its story is about as coherent as Metal Gear. And it has Disney characters. You take that back. <laughs> That is horseshit. <laughs> uh, I think I found my episode title. Okay, Kingdom Hearts on. 3, like Metal Gear, but with Disney characters. <laughs> That's too long. It can't be that. If Kingdom Hearts 3 has nanomachines in it, maybe uh. that would be okay. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm actually writing this down because I want to try to find a good title. I don't know, though, because that's what three titles in a row that are all Kingdom Hearts focused. That might be too yeah. much Kingdom Hearts, even for me. We'll see. We'll, I'll, I'll play around with it. Uh, okay. What's the, here was the next story here. Oh, okay. So actually, speaking of Kingdom Hearts 3, that was a good transition. I didn't even plan for it. Um, the game director of Kingdom Hearts 3 
kind of was asked about, hey, why weren't there Star Wars and um, Marvel characters in Kingdom Hearts? Was it because, you know, you had already been starting or like, could we anticipate Kingdom or, um, Marvel and Star Wars characters in a, in a new Kingdom Hearts? And he basically was like, maybe, but it's really hard to do it, which makes sense because it's not like they just make a deal with Disney. They also have to make a deal with Lucasfilm and with Marvel itself in order to get these characters in there and worlds in there. And that just becomes kind of prohibitive at a certain point. They even came across that with getting the Toy Story world, like getting a sign-off from Pixar, which is the only non-Disney, straight-up Disney, or I guess Mon- Monsters, Inc. too. Um, those are the only non-Disney worlds in Kingdom Hearts 3, which they just said was kind of an arduous process. They have to get deals done with both companies, and that just becomes tedious to try to license the rights. Yeah. So it was kind of like the reasoning why we may never see Marvel or Star Wars characters in Kingdom Hearts. I'm pretty okay with that. I am not going to play any more Kingdom Hearts games ever unless something crazy happens and they completely change the story and how the games are made. Yeah, because um, that, that first one's real good. It sure is, yes. None of the other 38 shitty Kingdom Hearts games undoes the quality of the first Kingdom Hearts game. But I don't need to play another a 39th shitty Kingdom Hearts game. Uh, so I... I totally buy this as a reason why we didn't and possibly won't see those characters. Yeah. Just looking at like the EA, you know, we've talked about the EA exclusivity with Star Wars games. Like if in two years there's another Kingdom Hearts game that wants to have Star Wars characters in it, like I could see EA not being super pleased because they have an exclusivity deal with that IP. So it, it just becomes even more complicated than just the relationship between Square Enix and Disney slash Marvel slash Lucasfilm. It also affects other third-party partnerships. So that just becomes a problem at a certain point. Right. Okay, so... um, Oh, this. (laughs) So there's a new Sonic movie, right? We've talked about this several several episodes ago. Uh, It's live action, but Sonic will be CG. It felt like it would be pretty similar to this Detective Pikachu movie, where it's like realistic style Sonic in the real world. And this isn't confirmed... But a design agency, I, I think, put out, or I guess leaked, their uh, design for Sonic in this Sonic movie. And it looks really bad. Like, it, it looks really, really bad. He's not wearing gloves. He just has white ha- hand fur. And his hands are, like, muscly and veiny. Yeah. In, like, a really gross way. Yeah. Um... He doesn't, his eyes are like totally different than the signature Sonic eyes. They're more like human looking, which is like terrifying. It just looks really, really bad. Uh, I will link to it in the show notes on jadeseverything.com. You should look at it because boy, it looks really bad, which is surprising. Well, surprising maybe isn't the word, but like looking at Detective Pikachu, how they were able to make CG cartoon character look like they fit into the real world where it's like, Cute and realistic and also horrifying all at once. This just looks horrifying <laughs> and shitty. Yeah. Oh, also, I didn't. I forgot to talk about this, but that mm-hmm. new Detective Pikachu trailer. Pikachu says, "Get me the hell out of here!" When he's in that <laughs> ring with the other Pokemon, he's like, "Get me the hell out of here!" I'm like, "What is that?" Interesting. 
He's one of a kind. He's like Meowth. You know Meowth has a sailor mouth. But not, like, they... That Pokemon Game Freak company, they would never fucking... They did. He says hell. They allowed it. A Pokemon says hell. Yeah. But also think about the audience. Like, is the audience really little kids, or is it, like, us for this movie? Like, it seems like they're trying to please both masters, but they have to make it a little bit edgy. Yeah, that's bizarre, man. That is weird. It's like having swear words in a Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. It's like if Mario said, um, like, he got a fire flower, he's like, I'm gonna torture ass! Like, (laughs) it's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get that in the, in the next Mario movie, which they're right, working on. Crossing my fingers. <laughs> PG thirteen Mario movie. <laughs> I'm a fucking cat now. <laughs> well, you can only get one F word in PG thirteen. You only right. get one F word. Use it well. Okay, it's got to be towards Luigi then. Yeah, definitely. Or like Wario would say it. <laughs> okay, uh, so wh- several months ago. Amazon announced that it was working on a Lord of the Rings live-action TV series. And the timing is perfect, because Game of Thrones is ending, and something needs to kind of fill that vacuum of high fantasy, drama, realism, whatever. And so, details have been scarce. They came out and have announced that the show will be taking place in the Second Age. Which, for folks that don't know about Lord of the Rings, I have a lot of detail for you. High level is the movies take place in the third age. When the that series ends, that's when it moves into the fourth age, right? So the ages aren't like each age is in a thousand years. They measure it by like big events that happen. So like Sauron becoming the thing is what sparks the third age. The defeat of um, Morgoth who was Sauron's boss. His defeat was the end of the first age. So the second age is everything in between. What there is are... it that Gandalf reads? Um, it's like year 34, 34 of the second age. Yes, so that's right at the end of the second age. Because that's the, the tale of a Isildur and how he lost the ring right. of power when he got murdered. Right. That was when he was getting ca- getting taken over by the ring, the precious, etc. I just remember, so was, like, in my head, it's like, year 34, 34 right. of the second age. Just <laughs> echoing. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that happens in the second age. There's a really good article I'll link from sci-fi.com that has um, a lot of examples of, like, hey, it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this. The biggest theory I have seen online, which is also the one that I prescribe to, is that this show will be focused on Numenor, which I'm going to read a long description and add a little bit of my own flavor. It's nerdy, but it's also cool. And I wanted to like, I want, you know, for readers that are like, I've, I've seen the movies. I don't know what to expect. If this is the show, it could be really rad. So, okay. After the defeat of Morgoth, who was Sauron's boss, the Valar, who are sort of, uh, demigods, um, in so in oh man i'm like i'm not even a sentence in and this has become really complicated <laughs> to explain so in the silmarillion right the silmarillion is the creation of um uh oh shit what's the um 
the name of the place that they live. Crap, I don't remember. It's the the name of the planet. I don't remember okay. what the name of the planet is. But the Silmarillion is the story of the creation of the planet. Fantasy Earth. Yes. So there's one god, and then there are several tiers of gods below that one god. There are the um, Valar. There are the Maya. There are other ones. So Morgoth is a Valar. He is a demigod. He's a badass. Gandalf is like, like the wizards are like a level below that. And Sauron also was on that level. So like Gandalf and Sauron are like the same power level, right? For right. Dragon Ball Z fans. Sure. Yep. The one God, he's got that over 9,000 power. And he's then it super goes down Saiyan. from there. You know, he's like super ultra mega Saiyan. What's the biggest Saiyan? Super Saiyan level four, whatever. He's the real thing. So anyway, after the de- defeat of Morgoth, who was a Valar, the other Valar felt bad for the race of men because they fought Morgoth and defeated him, especially the house of Beor, who went through some truly horrible things while fighting those wars, right? Okay, so I'm reading this sci-fi article here. Um, the Valar brought a star-shaped island up from the seas and uh, had a mountain at its center. The mountain was called Meneltarma. The Adain, who are a race of men blessed with long life, which is what Aragorn is descended from, were led to this island called Numenor by the star of Erendil, which, if you remember in the Lord of the Rings movies, that's what Galadriel, um, Galadriel gives the gives. light of Elendil. Yes, so whatever. Right. So it's it's a guiding light. It's a, it was it's a star in the sky that be a light for you in of. dark places. And yes, yada, yada. exactly. So they were led to Numenor by this light, much like the wise men were led to baby Jesus, because this whole thing is an allegory of Christianity, because J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian guy. So. It was on Numenor that the race of men came into their own in multiple ways um, because they became kind of douchebags and thought they were better than everyone else, which eventually leads to the fall of the race of men and then the rebirth of the race of men under Aragorn. So the only rule that the Valar put on men on Numenor was that they were not allowed to sail away from, from Numenor, that it was no longer visible. So the Valar did not want them sailing to like the Undying Lands, which is where all the gods and the elves go when their lives end. So this is before the Grey Havens exist. The Grey Havens, in, in the movies, it comes across as like heaven, basically, but it is not. It is a separate continent from Middle-earth. They're just sailing away to the Grey Havens. That's where a lot of elves go to retire, basically. It's like Florida. It's like the Florida of <laughs> Fantasy Miller. Florida. <laughs> Fantasy Florida. Exactly. So, Sarasota. Men are forbidden to go to uh, uh, the Undying Lands. So, basically, that was their only rule. They're like, hey, stay on Numenor. Don't sail far away from Numenor where you can't see it. That's the only rule. Well, the Numenorians were like, yo, we want to. Because we're men. So they eventually grew to resent the Valar for emplacing this ban on travel. So saying that, oh, well, that means we're we're not allowed to live forever like other races are because we can't go to the Undying Lands. So instead, they went the other direction. Instead of going to the Undying Lands, they sailed the other direction, which took them to Middle-earth. 
And this is where they started colonizing parts of it. So this is where, like, you know, when the, you know, that's why on the eastern side of Middle Earth is where all the men are in Gondor and all that stuff, Rohan, because they they came from farther east, which is where Numenor was, and even farther east than that is where the Undying Lands were. Farther to the west of Middle Earth is where the Grey Havens are. So if that kind of paints a picture of where where these things are located, is this a flat Earth, a flat planet? No, I, I'm, that's a good question. So are, only, it, are the Grey Havens like the eastern side of? So the Grey Havens. The oh, lands? that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, 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 I'm sure there is an answer, but I don't know what it is. Um, okay, is token of flat earther. Right, exactly. So, uh, some of the Numenorians sailed to Middle Earth. The other Numenorians that did not and remained friendly with the Valar, they became known as the Faithful. Okay? So, on Middle Earth, the Numenorians there became embroiled in a bunch of problems um, after Sauron forged the One Ring and went to war with the Elves. So, that's when the men became embroiled in all this bullshit. There was the king... King Ar-Farazon of Numenor, he went to Middle-earth with a force so large that Sauron um, surrendered to him. So they captured Sauron, brought Sauron back to Numenor, and then the narrator goes, and boy did they regret that move. (laughs) So uh, Sauron basically took over King Ar-Farazon. He brought up this resentment to the Valar even more than it already was, lied to him that the Numenorians would have eternal life if they worshipped Morgoth instead of the other Valar. So Arpharazon creates a giant temple devoted to Morgoth on Numenor, and they perform human sacrifices to it. Record scratch. <laughs> yup, that's me. You're probably wondering how I got here. um okay so and i guess to take a a step back part of why he was so our far as almost so sucked in by sauron is because he doesn't appear as big hulking dude with a giant mace and a fire hand like he sauron appeared as different people to different people and I, i think with the numenorians especially he appeared as this like beautiful woman that like was a seductress and so that's partially because he's a wizard he did that kind of trickery stuff well, yeah. Or is it I mean, just Sauron, like an element of like his being that allows him to do that, or is it because he's like a wizard? It's not. He's not a wizard. Um, I, I think Morgoth created Sauron. So, oh. like the Maya, who are the level up gods from the Valar, are the ones that created. I'm gonna look up really quick because I want to know the name um, of what Gandalf is. Um, let me see here. Uh, wizard Istari. So the wizards are called Istari, and they are. Like this, they are like Valar, but they're not quite as powerful because they aren't like gods. They're human-ish. It's very complicated, and I am not. They are flesh. Yeah, I'm not educated enough. I know a lot about Lord of the Rings, but I don't know enough to like tell you all the answers. To all this, but basically, like, just think of like these gods. Essentially, demigods are all on different tiers. There's Morgoth, who is with the Valar. There's, like, Sauron, who is a different type of demigod. And then there's Gandalf, who's in Astari, who's on the same level as Sauron. Okay. So, human sacrifices in the Temple of Morgoth. It's bad. So, Arpharazon then creates an army and sails to the west, back to Middle-earth, Middle intending, or, sorry, to um, going to make war on the Undying Lands which is where they were not allowed to go. That's where the Valar are. Sauron does not go with him 
because Sauron's going to take over Numenor and the rest of the planet. Uh, so, Arfarzone doesn't land on uh, Undying Lands. He lands on an island called Amon. And then he marches on a city there called Valimar and picks a fight with the Valar that are living on the island of Amon. So, Manwe, who is the kind of the chieftain of the Valar, he goes, yo, this is done. Alpharazone, this is done. So, Iluvatar, who is the most powerful being there is, uh, is the one that brings... The, the, he, he's, the, he's God. Capital G, God, is Iluvatar, right? So... Um, Manwe calls to Iluvatar and says, you got to take care of these guys. Like, this sucks. So, um, Arfarazone, they get trapped in giant mounds of dirt inside a place called the Caves of the Forgotten. Iluvatar then moves that entire island, um, so that they can't escape and they can never go back to Numenor and nothing will ever happen like this again. So he also sunk the island of Numenor. Everyone on it died. And even Sauron, his current form, died in the sinking of Numenor. His mental state survived, as it did because of the ring. Um, but he was never allowed to... T- or he wasn't able to take that beautiful woman form ever again. Who was called Anatar is the name of that woman. So, the big, like, hulking monster dude, that became the only Sauron that we would get. But, he had already created the Rings of Power in partnership with Celebrimbor who people might know the name Celebrimbor because he was the elven ghost in the Shadow of Mordor games. That Those games are not canon. The things that happen in those games are very f- wrong. So that is not the kind of Celebrimbor that is the real Celebrimbor, real, using in quotations. But Celebrimbor was basically like tricked by Sauron into creating these rings. He wasn't an evil person per se. So Sauron already has his rings. He's this big, powerful dude. So the only men that survived the sinking of Numenor were the faithful, which were led by King Elendil. You know the name Elendil because he re- led the race of men in the war against Sauron. His sons were Isildur, who is the one that cut off the ring from Sauron, and Anarion, who I believe is the direct ascendant of Aragorn. So Elendil with his sons and the rest of the faithful they go um, plant the tree of Gondor, which was originally the tree of Numenor. And it became Gondor because Gondor hadn't been founded yet. So that's where they established Gondor. They established Arnor, which was close to Gondor. They built Minas Anor, which eventually becomes Minas Tirith. And Minas Ithil, which eventually becomes Minas Morgul. So Minas Tirith is the capital of Gondor, the big white city at the end of Return of the King. Minas Morgul is where the Witch King lives, where he like comes out on his big beast and like attacks Minas Tirith. So right. that's Minas Morgul, Minas Tirith. So Elendil uh, obviously fought in that big battle against um, Sauron. He fought with Gilgalad, who was the leader of the Elven race. You see Gilgalad really briefly as like a big spear in that prequel or not prequel, well prologue in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, so Sealder obviously the ones that cuts um, uh, Sauron's hand off with the shards of Narsil and uh, that's where Aragorn comes from so that's kind of like the high level of what happens in the second age so I know that's a lot obviously yeah but 
there's a lot of like cool shit that happens. And that doesn't even take into account a bunch of other things that happen, which lead up to this big battle against Sauron. So I mentioned Gilgalad. He kind of like takes a bunch of the elves and creates his own kingdom. The Grey Havens were established in the Second Age. Rivendell was established by Elrond in the Second Age. The dwarves settled Moria during the Second Age. They kind of like all went together in Moria. Um, yeah, so uh, the creation of the rings, distribution of the rings of power. So a lot of shit happens in, in the Second Age that they could tap into. But this story of Numenor, thinking about the fact that they want a new Game of Thrones style show... There's a little bit less fantasy element that would take place there. So it's not a bunch of elves and shit. It'd be humans on this, you know, uh, settling this island. A bunch of political struggles between, you know, Elendil and Arpharazone, potentially. And I'm sure they can, like, stretch the actual story a little bit to make it work for television. But, like, all that to say, if that is the story, that could be pretty rad. And it would be really cool to, to see more about, like, the gods and the Valar and the Maya and stuff could be really neat in a way where on game of thrones they talk about like the new gods and the old gods and relore the red god like the way they talk about those gods could be similar to the way they talk about it on the lord of the rings show so that that that's what that's what that might be doesn't it kind of make it like inherently less interesting though because you kind of know how it all turns out well but that's any adaptation of fiction but like, not with like game of thrones like, you don't know how Game of Thrones is going to end. But that's only because he hadn't finished the books yet. Like, in his... He has an end to the story. That that end of the story was already done. I don't know what it is because I haven't read those. But, like, it's not whole cloth new. They could... The, I mean, and they could theoretically say it takes place in the Second Age. But here's a... It's a completely different story. It takes place in the Shire in the Second Age. And then they just make it up from scratch. That could totally happen. Yeah. But I'm not saying that would necessarily be more interesting. It's not the it's not the destination, it's the journey. Isn't that how that goes? Uh it's both. <laughs> Fair enough. People who say that just aren't satisfied with the outcome. Uh so I will say if you are a big Lord of the Rings fan and you are a listener of the podcast and I fucked something up, send me an email. Info at shayhitseverything.com. Tell me that I'm an idiot and that I don't know what I'm talking about. But I th- I think I got everything correct. It's a lot, but I think I got it. Fantasy Florida. Right. That's that's the takeaway. That's and the biggest. <laughs> fantasy North Star Wise Men. <laughs> yes. All right. Final news story. Disney Plus, Disney's streaming service. Uh, Mr. Iger, who is the CEO of Disney, came out and said that Disney is ceasing its vault program, where they kind of like rotate movies in and out of the vault. And if a movie's in the vault... You can't buy it on DVD or anything. They're ceasing that. And at least some point soon after the launch of Disney Plus, every single Disney movie will be available on Disney Plus. That's the right move. It is 100% the right move. Doesn't mean that it was like the expected move. And this, like the reactions I have seen of people are like, well, here you go. I'm getting this now. Like to be able to watch any Disney movie at any time that you want has never been possible before. Unless you owned every single movie, which was very hard to do because of the way that the vault was. It was just this like artificial demand that they were trying to, or like artificial scarcity that they yeah. were trying to, to, and people hated it. It was a terrible for consumers. It sucked. So they're not doing that anymore. Who knows how expensive this will still be? That, that will be the big sticking point. But 
analysts are already saying when all is said and done, they expect Disney Plus to have more subscribers than Netflix, which is bonkers. I mean, Netflix, I can see I that, believe, right? Because like, like parents with kids who like, I mean, Netflix has some kid friendly stuff, but certainly it's not tons of kid friendly stuff. Yeah, but not Disney, obviously. Right, it's not Disney stuff, though, and that's the stuff that kids want to see the most. And so, like, this makes sense mm-hmm. from that aspect, I guess. I, yeah, I don't know. Also, I feel like Netflix, because Netflix continues to lose things all the time, um, having something that's only going to ever have stuff added to it, like you're never going to lose stuff, is kind of appealing. Yeah, that's fair. Interesting. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, we'll only ever expand. Um, okay, that's all of our news. A couple more things before we wrap this baby up. So, my Game of the Year 2018 post is finally live. It only took me until March. I did not make the <laughs> February 28th deadline, unfortunately. Life happens. But I did make it on, like, March 2nd. All right, so give me some credit here. Um, no, I posted on March 4th. Damn it. Still, no like credit. Only like five days late. March 2nd um, would have been credit. So, I'm not going to walk through everything uh, because I had several categories. I did best looking game, best setting, best music, best characters, best story, most disappointing game, and then my top 10 games. So, if you want to read it, go to shadeseverything.com. It's the first uh, article you'll see posted. Uh, check it out. I feel pretty good about it. it. Took me a really long time to write, so please support it. Um, but I want to walk through just my, my top 10 games of the year. Because we did that with you, Kyle. So I kind of wanted to do the same thing. So, quick honorable mentions. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Haven't finished up my time with it. But it's still just... It's just a really solid game. It's kind of like the best thing I can say about it. And I will go back to it once I wrap up some loose ends with some other stuff. It'll be an easy game to jump back into once or twice a month. Moonlighter which um, I, I didn't get as far into as I wanted, um, but I wanted to call it out as an honorable mention just because I felt like if I had put a lot more time into it, it probably would have made my top 10 list. Had a cool pixelated aesthetic, uh, just a really good dungeon crawler, and I really, really enjoyed the shop running kind of system. I, I really like that. It made the game feel kind of unique from other dungeon crawlers. Yeah, it's like a, a neat mesh of two different types of games. Yeah. And then Octopath Traveler, which like was right on the borderline of making my top 10. As we talked about, uh, kind of the story and the characters don't quite hit the mark. But I really loved the combat system, the visual style and aesthetic of it. It has really solid music. It's just a really good old school JRPG. Yeah. Number 10, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Uh, this, uh, you know, partially makes it in just because of the, the sheer quantity of content that it has like the, the number of music tracks and stages and characters are just like completely unfathomable and it's just a really good smash game it's much better than brawl was uh in terms of like the quality of the roster and the levels and stuff um i haven't gotten that far into the world of light mode i've just been experimenting a little bit with it but i really love how it has all the nods to like classic Nintendo stuff, a lot of really fun Easter eggs that just, you know, it's not subspace emissary. It's not like a, a story mode in that sense. It's not as engaging, but it's, it's, it's a fun, cute nod at a lot of cool Nintendo history. Number nine, I had as the banner saga three, which again, like I'm not done with it. This could very easily move up on my list. Uh, had I finished it, but I couldn't wait forever to post this thing. So it, you know, the reason it is only number nine is just because I'm not far enough into it to like say with certainty that the ending is uh, satisfactory. But right. 
as I mentioned, uh, really enjoying the kind of like turn-based combat. Has a lot more depth than either of the previous two combat systems did. A lot more challenge, kind of frustrating challenge to be honest at times. But I think a lot of it's just because like the previous two games were so easy. I didn't need to engage in a lot of like high level strategy. And now you'd need to and I'm just not used to it. So there's a bit of a learning curve that I'm facing so far. Number eight was Florence. So this was a mobile game, really short, right. like 30, 40 minute experience, primarily just very story focused. And it was just like, it didn't hit me emotionally as hard as it did Vinny on the giant bomb cast, giant beast cast rather. But um, I still really loved the story and it just uses its mobile platform in really inventive ways, like ways that you are used to using your phone, like scrolling and kind of, you know, hitting your thumb presses and that kind of thing, like zooming in and out. It's just really good at using those typical phone mechanics to create this um, character-focused story. Number seven for me is Gris, which I know I talked about, I think, like, last episode. I played through, like, the whole thing in just a couple of sittings. This was, like, my biggest out-of-nowhere game. I feel like every year there's a complete game that comes out of nowhere that I just randomly try and fall in love with. And just the visual style of it, the uniqueness of the environments, the kind of ambiguity in the story and kind of like the emotional attachment that I had with it were just really powerful. Um, and just the painterly aesthetic is just absolutely beautiful. And um, the puzzles weren't necessarily like super challenging, but they were fun. They kind of, they got the job done to tell the rest of the story. Number six is Donut County, which uh, again is a pretty simple puzzle game, but just it's, it's kind of like style is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, it won my best music category. The music in it is just the bomb. And I loved all the characters in it. Uh, it's just a really fun, not like frivolous experience, but it's just one of those, it's just a good time kind of game. Yeah, I really need to play that. It's it's quite good. I think you will like it. Number five for me was Celeste, which isn't really a game that I'm typically that into. Like these hardcore, like pinpoint platformers. Um, I just tend to get like really frustrated with them. But the thing that made Celeste stand out to me, one, the music is really good, uh, especially like the B-sides are just like really kicking remixes of, of the rest of the songs. But it has like a legitimate character story to it, which you don't typically see. Like comparing this game to like Super Meat Boy, like there's not really a story. I mean, there is. He's trying to save his girlfriend or whatever, but like it's nothing. It's right. just a means of like pushing you through. This is like... I mean, it, it, you know, it's about like depression and these inner demons and how you need to just accept those faults instead of trying to push them away. Like it goes some like really um, deep places and I, I respect it for that. And it kind of makes it stand apart amongst platformers for me. Number four was the Spyro Reignited trilogy, which like I always hem and haw about including like HD remasters on a top 10 list. But like at the end of the day, it was one of the most fun experiences I had with a video game. So well, they did a lot of work to it. Yeah. I mean, like they visually like completely started over and just in the first game, how they redid all of the dragon um, visual designs really make it feel that much more unique. And the gameplay still super holds up. Like it's still, it feels, it, it looks and feels like a game that could have been made today, which is pretty impressive considering it was, the first game was a PS1 game. Right. Uh, and it's just, it just had a really good time with it. Guacamelee 2 is my number three game. Um, it, it's hard to kind of compare the sequel to the original just because it's been like six years, more than six years, I think, but it's been a long time. Uh, yeah, six years. But uh, the, 
variety in the second game I think is much better than in the first just because you can switch back and forth between the different worlds it has a lot of the same moves and the same kind of metroidvania feel but the uh the story is um a little more off the wall with like different dimensions and stuff and that I found really engaging they leaned more heavily into the chicken suit not suit but like playing as a chicken for puzzle solving and combat and that I thought uh was really cool and helped differentiate it from the first game okay and then for me, the number one and the number two games, it was really like a two-horse race. Number two for me ended up being Marvel Spider-Man, which there's not a ton of stuff you can, at least I can say about Spider-Man, where I'm like, this is completely new. Or like, this is a really fresh take. It's just that like everything it does, it does exceedingly well. And it combines elements from other games into a really satisfying package that's greater than the sum of its parts. The story was surprisingly awesome, especially like the interpersonal stuff between Peter and MJ and Miles. The larger like, um, oh, not Secret Six, not Suicide Squad. What's the name Sinister of the Sinister Six? Sinister Six. Thank you. I don't know why I can think of that, but that storyline is kind of like average. It's like average comic book stuff, but the okay. characterizations are much better than I would have expected, um, and just the the scale of it. It feels like a proper superhero open world game on par with like the Marvel movies. Like what they have done for Marvel in a movie perspective, I feel like this game has done for Marvel characters in video games. And I have much higher expectations for Marvel video games because of this game. Okay. And then for me, number one, God of War. I know you didn't like God of War. Bums me out that you didn't like it. Yeah. But it bums me out too. Overall, like I compare this year to 2017, right? Like, 2017, my top three games were Super Mario Odyssey, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Uncharted The Lost Legacy. I like all three of those games more than I like God of War. Yeah. Which, like, you know, and that's not to take anything away from God of War. I think it's an, a phenomenal game in a lot of ways, but I had significant issues with it. Really, at the end of the day, it just came down to, like, much like people made the argument for Red Dead 2, where the story and the characters overcompensated for the gameplay deficiencies the pros of god of war just so far outweigh the issues i had with some of the like um slot mechanics and armor mechanics and stuff that like like the combat on god of war just feels so weighty and solid and great and just the the character story like absolutely blew me away if like after i played god of war 3 if you would have told me that one day Kratos will be one of my favorite characters of the year, I would have laughed at you. Like, he he was a ridiculous, over-the-top, stupid meathead. And in that way, he was fun to play as because he was a monster person. But, like, to think that he's a dad and, like, I will learn to care about his relationship with his son and his fallen wife. Like, I would be like, there's no way. There's no way that you can undo these four games of complete... Five games, if you include the PSP game. Complete and utter bombast of this character. There's no way you could actually make me care about him. And they did, dude. Like, the relationship between Kratos and Atreus in this game... I would put on par with what I thought was the best relationship from last year between Chloe and Nadine in Uncharted Lost Legacy. Like, the writing and the characterizations and the acting and the arcs of that relationship was like better than I had seen in a video game. And I feel like the relationship between Atreus and Kratos might be even better than that. Like, this might be the best character relationship I've seen in a video game. And that's pretty outstanding. Joel um, and Ellie, come on. Yes, you're right. 
You're right. Yep. I know Joel, I'm right. Joel and Ellie is better. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Yes. To not be hyperbolic about it, it is one of the best that I have okay. seen in 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 a modern video game. But you're right. Joel and Ellie is definitely the best. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's my top ten. I feel really good about all those games on there. I feel like there was a, a surprising amount of variety in the types of games that I played, and not as some, not a fanboy perspective, but as someone that has bought into the Sony ecosystem, like I may buy the next Xbox if I have a bunch of extra money and time to do it, but I know I'm buying the next Sony console, right? I'm in, excuse me, I'm invested in that ecosystem in that community, right? And so the fact that my two favorite games of the year were Sony games makes me feel more that much more excited for the future of Sony products. And even sure. looking back at last year, Horizon Zero Dawn, PlayStation exclusive. Uncharted Last Legacy, PlayStation exclusive. Looking back at the year prior to that, my favorite game of the year, Uncharted 4, PlayStation exclusive. And I don't think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where like I'm going to like Sony games more just because I want to like them more. Listeners of the podcast should know I'm far more cynical <laughs> than to be like <laughs> taken up in that sort of thing. I mean, Super Mario Odyssey won my game of the year. It's not a PlayStation game. But all that to say, I look forward to the continued quality of Sony exclusives. I feel like they are knocking it out of the park by and large. And so hopefully sure. that continues. And hopefully we actually get some good exclusive games in 2019. Because right now it's like days gone. Yeah. That's kind of it, right? Uh, in terms of exclusives? Yeah. Maybe... Yeah, I think that's it. Is is Sekiro? Is that a PlayStation exclusive? Uh, it's probably also coming to PC, I would assume. Yeah, and that it's not a first party game anyway. But yeah, right. like that's kind of it. Because obviously we have Dreams, Last of Us Part Two, but right. like we don't have release dates for those. So, anywho, that's my top ten. Check out the full list and the other categories on jhitseverything.com. I would really appreciate it. So, before we do hate of the week, we got an email. Hello. We don't get enough emails. Yeah. So if you have an email, send it to info at jhitseverything.com or tweet at me at shay underscore castle or write us a message on a Facebook page slash everything. Do it. We'll read it and we'll talk about it. We have a great email from Steve in Washington, D.C. Steve says, Shay, big fan of the pod. You and Kyle discussed last week that there are not a lot of games coming out this year that either of you are really interested in and it got me thinking. Well, Steve, you're correct, because we have mentioned we that multiple times on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if both of you had to describe a, a dream game concept, whether based off an existing IP or a completely original idea, what would you come up with? And Steve lists a couple examples. He says, for an existing IP, I would love to see a Harry Potter-based action RPG where I get to create my own wizard or witch, take classes, get into adventures around Hogwarts, and make decisions to be a dark wizard fighting for purebloods only, or defending the populace, keeping everyone happy. I would say, Steve, maybe I wouldn't love a Harry Potter game where I can be a racist dark wizard, but... It's if- nice to have the <laughs> option, though, right? <laughs> but I understand the perspective. And I would, one, I would say, hopefully you're in luck because of that leaked gameplay Harry Potter game I know. footage. Hopefully that Looks does happen. Good. And two, I would say, if I was going to list out my dream video games, this would absolutely be one of them. I would actually advocate, and maybe this wouldn't be better, but I would almost rather have the game like take place at Bobatons 
or Illuvermerny or whatever the American wizarding school is, where it's completely separated from the Harry Potter story. It just exists in that larger wizarding world so that it can really be its own story. Absolutely see the fun in exploring Hogwarts for yourself with your own character, taking classes either like from Professor McGonagall or like if it takes place afterwards, like, oh, I could take herbology classes from Neville Longbottom. Like that could all be really cool, but I would almost prefer a completely original and different take on the Wizarding World. Um, but yes, it being an action RPG, quote-unquote open world, I guess it wouldn't really be open world, but like fully able to explore the school and the grounds, and maybe you go to different places for story beats for battles and whatnot, that would all be super, super awesome. It'd be like Bully, but with Harry Potter. Yeah. That would be really rad. Uh, and then for Steve's original idea... He says, a blatant Assassin's Creed Origins ripoff, but you are Robin Hood in medieval Britain. I'm down for that. Sounds like a pretty dope idea as well. Uh, I feel, I mean, I didn't play Assassin's Creed. What's the one that took place in London? Not Unity. Where you played as the brother and sister. Yep. What is that game? Assassin's Assassin's Creed Creed, Too Many. Assassin's Creed. Oi! (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, let me, let me, what is this game? Assassin's Creed, uh, Lorry Driver. No, not Britain's Got Talent. The hell are you doing, Google? Take me to 8chan. <laughs> 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 okay, here we go. Let's, okay, what is this game? Uh, uh, maybe Syndicate. We Assassin's Creed H-Champ. Syndicate. Syndicate. Yes. So, obviously, that took place in London. You're not Robin Hood, but would be, I imagine, a similar time period, maybe, with the horse and buggy and that sort of, like, 1800s sort of As long as it's Kevin Costner's Robin Hood. That's my stipulation. Kevin Costner's Robin Hood, and somewhere throughout the game, someone says, cut your heart out with a spoon. spoon. (laughs) (laughs) That would be good. Um, But I guess Steve, Steve pitched it in medieval Britain, which is actually where Robin Hood takes place. So I guess that would be very different than the kind of industrial age britain right and in, in syndicate yeah so that would be cool um so obviously as far as like so he says i would love to hear both of your ideas and discussion thanks again for getting me through the work day and looking forward to more great content you know what steve thank you thank you steve from washington dc thank you for writing well, in i don't know like great content i don't like hey that's it's all about a matter generous. of perspective if he thinks it's great i'm not going to take that away from him if I'm he is that delusional from his arms <laughs> like a babe from its mother's womb <laughs> if he's that delusional to think that this is a great podcast <laughs> by all means continue <laughs> to believe in dreams um so harry potter rpg completely agree that would definitely be up there for me uh mentioned already i would personally love a breath of the wild inspired pokemon game like that would be the ultimate video game in my eyes um, and then the other thing that I wrote down would be kind of an RPG on event, like the Avengers. I'm not sure how it would work out if I'd want a Marvel Ultimate Alliance style where like you put a party together or if you create your own hero in the larger Marvel Universe. That's probably the better way. So, like, so like, like DC way. Universe, but Marvel. Yeah, but not an MMO, like an actual story-focused RPG. Right, right. Um, which... Who knows? I mean, Crystal Dynamics, they're still working on that Avengers game. Who knows what that's actually going to turn out it's to true. be. Um, but that could be could be cool. Crystal Dynamics is this good studio. So, I don't know. Did you have any other big ideas? Dark Void 2. I'm not... Okay. 
I'm not sure that's really in the spirit of the question. Because, like, that's just a sequel to a game that already exists. <laughs> but. Would you reimagine it in some way? Yes. Okay. Dark Void 2, but it's first person in VR. So you're right. jetpacking around, flying through shit, shooting shit, messing with, like, direction and perspective. Mm-hmm. I would... You'd land on a UFO, and you'd, like, rip the robot out of the UFO, and then you fly the UFO. I didn't play Dark Void, so this is... Oh, you're, man. You're missing me Nolan North voiced the main character. <laughs> Nolan North voiced most main characters in that <laughs> a, in that period of video game Fair. development. Um, but, so yeah. like, Dark Void is, like, a... Like, what what is... What's the terminology? Uh... A yep. <laughs> what what like, is the turn on like? Uh, I literally the, don't know the what thing you're that you say. really like that you don't like. Not a lot of other people like guilty, pre- guilty, guilty pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. Dark Void is my guilty pleasure. Um, yeah. Another maybe like a more serious like original more of an original idea is um. I mean, just kind of us talking about Lord of the Rings kind of set it off. But yeah, like I was thinking about that a too. Skyrim-like right. game, but set in the Lord of the Rings universe yeah. where it's very open. Um, like, if you want to be a hobbit, you can be a hobbit, and you can right. get a house in the Shire and fill it with fill it full of the loot that you find in your adventures. If you want to be, you know, a, a man, like the race of man, you can, like, post up in an inn, like the Inn of the Prancing Pony, like... Mm-hmm. It's got all, all the great locations that you know and love, kind of like expanded upon and reimagined. You can go down to the Mines of Moria and fight a bar, uh, Balrog, like all that kind of cool stuff going on. Like I would love to be able to do that because those, like the movie Lord of the Rings games, were f- like they weren't good, but they were surprisingly fun for what they were. And it's like yeah. having something that was more of an RPG where you can yes. spend more time in the world and like kind of immerse yourself in it. I would really, really appreciate. Well, and I mean, those were PS2 games. Like, yeah. just the way that technology and, and the ability to write stories and games and characterizations have have grown so much from when the Two Towers and Return of the King video games came out. Like, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, obviously, since then, we've had War in the North. We had... Yeah. That, like, War in the North was actually Dynasty also Warrior fun for style. what it was. Yeah. The, the right. War in the North, I liked the story. And I liked that it was, like, a side story. The actual yeah. gameplay of it was not as awesome. It was kind of repetitive, but and it, it was, was a cool buggy. story. Yes, um, but yeah, and like, like, because I just don't care about the Shadow of Mordor games because those, like, right. they're kind of like relentlessly paced and they're very Assassin's Creedy kind of yes. samey samey. Like, I want something that is more of a measured pace. Like, you take it at you take it at your own pace. Like, you play the game at the speed and the intensity in which you desire, and the game rewards you for any play style. Right, um, which I think Bethesda has always done a good job of doing. Uh, some stuff around the edges, maybe not so much, but um, yeah, I think that would be super dope. So, I mean, the only other thing that I can think of um, off the top of my head, so, I mean, this is still more superhero stuff, but I'd love to see kind of a um, an action game starring like Moon Knight or Daredevil. Moon like, Knight is a cool... A little more like a little bit underground superheroes that are like yeah. very on the streets, not superpower type guys. Um, cause then it can just have, you know, it wouldn't be like over the top devil may cry style combat, but it would be, 
I guess more like Batman, like a mixture of like Batman and Spider-Man, that, that style where it's a little bit more acrobatic. Um, right. Could be really cool. I don't know if it'd be like an, I guess it would just kind of be like a spider, the Insomniac Spider-Man game, but with Moon Knight or Daredevil where you're moving around the city, doing solving little crimes, that sort of thing. I think it'd yeah. be really cool just because I really love both those characters and they could, they could go in a lot. They could, it could, they could be a lot darker in tone than the Spider-Man right. game was. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Cool. I'm trying to think of like what are the other things that I love and how would I translate them to video games? Because like a lot of the properties that I really love, like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, that kind of, like we've seen those in games in several different ways. So it's hard to think of like like oh I would love a, another really good Star Wars RPG, like a new Knights of the Old Republic style RPG. But like it's kind of an obvious answer. It's not as creative as like a Robin Hood game, but like Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Um, I wish we could have a really good Avatar The Last Airbender game. Oh, that's a good one. What kind of game would it be? I don't know. Because like, like maybe it's almost wasn't... like, almost like turn-based even. Because like with the yeah. elements and stuff, you could have all sorts of like different abilities and great animations, but make it like a little more turn-based or kind of like a turn-based hybrid. Um, okay. Where... Just because of the nature of a lot of the movesets and abilities and things that take place in those games, um, it's hard to control, and mm. it's hard to put all those features in it and like have it feel good and run well and, and like interact with it, each other in like a, a good way. Um, and so maybe like more of like a turn-based hybrid would be an avenue that they could pursue, and it like just the ability to tell like a new like not follow the same characters like follow different characters from like the earth kingdom the fire kingdom water kingdom like that would be really interesting as well like kind of have its own story set in like another time mm -hmm. um i don't know because like I, I really like that world as well and I, I would like a good excuse to explore it and like be able to use the abilities but like effectively each time and not like <laughs> right. control it crap um and i also think like we've come a long way in terms of making games look like the shows yeah. that they are based off of, like run like they look like it's an episode. Yeah. Um, and I think that could be really, be really good if given the proper care or budget. I thought of another one, super smash brothers, but with the Simpsons characters. <laughs> Cause there's like 5 million Simpsons characters. Yes. So I heard some, I don't remember who pitched the idea. I think it was on the Giant Beast cast, maybe. They talked about a battle royale, but with the Simpsons characters. Oh, right. Like a hundred random Simpsons characters, which right. is a really good idea. But obviously all of those, they, they would play the same. They would just be different skins. But with this, right. like, you know, a roster of 40 Simpsons characters where they each have unique moves a la Smash Brothers. That would be fun as hell. <laughs> trying to think of like a story focused like more adventure game that i would like to see adapted because like game of thrones is the first one that pops but like there was already a telltale game of thrones and it sucked like the office like an adventure game with the office that could be very fun. story focused could be funny I'm yeah i don't know all my comics i know right i'm just trying to think like what are all the things that i like <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> how could they chew. be a video game like a story focused like chew the yeah. comic chew I was really thinking good. Saga as well, the comic series. Yeah, that's a harder sell just because that of would the be graphic very and like mature it is. Well, and it's like so 
it's very broad. Like yeah. a lot, so much stuff happens. Right. In that, there, there in is a series. lot of like action in that too. Yeah, but it's more like that story is really focused on that family. So True. like, would you tell a side character from Saga? I don't know who that would be. Versus like right. The Office, it can be like you play as Dwight. <laughs> right. So yeah, there's there's some ideas for you, video game industry. Start working. All right. Let's wrap this thing up with a hate of the week. Hate of the week. Okay, so this, you know, we're talking a lot about becoming a parent. Um, something that is very frustrating that my poor wife has to deal with a lot more than I do is unsolicited advice. So not even just like, I mean, obviously parenting advice of like, oh, you need to make sure you do this thing. But also like things about her pregnancy or even like their horror stories of oh my uh, my labor was so terrible because X and Y happened or like oh we had to have an emergency C section because this went wrong like why in the hell would you tell a pregnant <laughs> woman this like people are just bad people are so bad I just want to like <laughs> slap their hand and be like bad bad you why would you say this spray him with a water bottle like <laughs> no go away bad. <laughs> I just, it's so rude. And the, it's being unsolicited is the worst part. And it's just because people have to make everything about themselves. Like, oh, I see a pregnant woman. I need to tell her about my pregnancy experience, even though she didn't ask. And why would she? Because I've literally never met her before. But I'm going <laughs> to walk up to her and touch her stomach. Like, go away. <laughs> and thankfully, like, I don't have to deal with it as much because I'm just a dude. Like, if you look at me, you don't know if I am a dad or will be a dad. I'm just a guy. But it's pretty obvious with my wife <laughs> that she's going to be a mom soon. <laughs> but, like, even when I talk to people about it, they just tell – like, everyone tells their horror stories. Or, like, oh, that first year, it's going to be awful. Like, you're not going to get any sleep, blah, blah, blah. And some people, they say that, but they're and they're like, but it's the best thing that will ever happen to you. And that's fine because it's all it's, – it's, it's worth it, you know? But there are people that are like, you're going to be miserable. Like, this is going to be just the worst experience that you're ever going to go through. My wife and I, when we had our first kid, we, we had to go to therapy after. Like, we almost got a divorce because we just couldn't handle it. I'm like, okay, why are you telling me this? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what is this supposed to do for me? I am not your therapist. <laughs> you already know even, who that person is. There isn't even advice buried in there. It's just your <laughs> life is going to be terrible. See ya. <laughs> Like, <laughs> shut up. Leave me alone. Like, let me be who I want to be. <laughs> so that's been uh, that's been very frustrating. And it's only going to get worse when she's actually born and we're yeah. around with our baby. People are going to come up and want to grab her out of her stroller that we don't know. Like, telling us, oh, you have to make sure you do this or else this is going to happen. Oh, make sure you don't put this in there or else she might die in her sleep. Like, ugh, leave us alone. We just want to <laughs> be in our bubble and never talk to anyone. So yeah, that sucks. Your daughter's gonna have life. great social skills. Yeah, maybe we'll see. I'll, I'll like push her out into the world. Like, hey, so <laughs> people are terrible, but you have to deal with them. Good. When luck. she's three months old, you push her out the door. Like, yeah, come <laughs> back when you when you have a job. She's gotta learn. She's gotta learn somehow. <laughs> I didn't have it easy. <laughs> Walked uphill to the school. bathroom both ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all right. Let's wrap this baby up. So I will say something I don't hate today. Obviously, besides the fact that I'm having a kid, I don't hate that. But I don't hate rainy weekend days. 
it's been kind of shitty. Like during the week when it's rainy, it sucks. But on the weekend, stuff. if you're not doing anything, like we're just you know we're building a dresser and doing laundry and like all that kind of stuff, baby prep stuff. But we're just in the house and it's glorious. Just hearing the pitter patter, it just being kind of wet and damp and a little bit chilly and windy outside. It's a great weekend. Yeah, that's not as fun when like when you have to work an event and then because the school won't redo the roof of the theater, there's a leak. So every time it rains when there's a client, it like leaks on their Marley floor and they're like, hey, just so you know, the roof is leaking. I'm like, I know the roof is leaking. It's been leaking for like 15 years and they won't fucking fix it. Something I should have specified, and I feel like I was pretty clear about this, but just to reiterate, this is something for this is for me. I don't care about you. This is something I don't hate for me. So well, like, no, like I have to make it about me though. Don't don't bring your problems in here. All right, I have to make it about me. We try to avoid as much negativity as possible on the Shay Hates Everything podcast. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, so I, I don't, don't hate, hate rainy days. You can hate I all you don't want. Hate. But I don't. Yeah, I fucking hate rainy days. Yeah. I don't hate my new chairs. Mm-hmm. So there is a uh, a theater in downtown Dayton whom I my wife and I know a couple of people that work there. Um, we got word that they were doing kind of like a props and um, furniture and costume purge of a lot of the stuff and selling it. So we got. Because my wife and I, like, we had a medieval wedding ceremony. We're really into mm-hmm. that style. And we our dining room is kind of like, we're kind of decorating it with all that stuff. And there were these chairs that are amazing. And they're, like, all this, like, carved and shaped wood and, like, a green velvet, like, velour with, like, gold and stuff. They look awesome. And there nice. were two of them. And they were only $20 each. So we got them. And they are now in my dining room. I took a picture. And Shay, I'm going to send it to you, and you can include it in the show notes if you would like. The picture also has the painting or the piece that your wife painted for us that has all, like, the Hobbit breakfast stuff, all the Hobbit meals. Yeah. Has that in it, and also has the suit of armor on the mannequin. Nice. In the corner. I I got all the good stuff. Fully medieval-themed home. Yep. Well, dining room. The rest of it is very Ikea. (laughs) <laughs> we have like an ikea style yeah like that's kind of our aesthetic <laughs> our aesthetic is some people uh, are like cheap stuff that'll last seven years <laughs> some people are you know open floor plans some people like kind of that postmodern look some people like very vintage we're kind of like ikea ikea yeah <laughs> when you make what i make our style is gonna be ikea ikea's good dude i mean most of our stuff's from ikea too yeah. Either either it's IKEA or Kelly built it. That's kind yeah. of where we are. Or we just, it's the bedroom set I've had since I was 16. Yeah, we just desperately need a new dining room table because it's an IKEA table and it functions and it's very large and it has mm-hmm. two like leaves you could put in to make it longer. But now that we have these totally awesome chairs that don't match the wood at all, I mm-hmm. think it's time we need a new table, which means the, the okay, the next dining room table we get is going to be a wormwood gaming table. Uh-huh. Uh, so it'll be like four or five thousand dollars, which means we'll get a new table in like twenty years, right? But that's going to be the next table. Yeah, I would say maybe before you buy a table or other new chairs, you should figure out your water pressure problem. <laughs> no, that seems like a more worthwhile investment. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're a liar. <laughs> it's your life. You don't Do own it. a home; you're just renting. You can't give me advice. You're right. You're right. Do whatever you want. I'm sure it'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll do something. 
Uh, okay, so last thing I'll mention, and I obviously talked about this at the beginning of the episode, with my baby impending, I don't know when the next episode of this podcast is going to be up. The big baby shadow looming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the baby rain. Oh, it's a baby rain cloud on the weekends. <laughs> That's what it is. No, it's a terrifying shadow. <laughs> right, baby tornado. Uh, <laughs> baby tornado. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, basically, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, it's very possible that the next episode will not be going up in two Mondays because maybe my daughter will be born on Sunday or whatever. So, if you don't hear or if you don't see a new podcast, that's why we didn't quit. Just like follow me on Twitter at Shay underscore Castle or like our Facebook page slash Shay Hates Everything, and um, yeah, you'll I'll be sure to update uh, there when and if the different podcast schedule happens. So that's going to do it. We have a lot of really good episode title names. <laughs> yeah, we're typing up a list right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to do that from now on just because I feel like I always come up with a really good idea during the podcast and then I forget it. And I like having funny inside joke uh, podcast names. So now we have a list of like six options already. <laughs> Among them are... Wheat Golden Corn. <laughs> this isn't the name, but like to spark ideas. Uh, don't Google 8chan and Looming Baby Shadow. <laughs> some, some big winners in there. Three right. word episode titles. Yes. Always, always a yeah. good ratio. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And Kyle, as always, thank you for joining me on this shit show of a podcast. And we'll see you guys in the next episode whenever that happens. Peace out. Thank you.